You understand the meaning of the word foreboding? As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Oh, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because lobsters live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? For me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. I'm not going back inside, Billy. Ever. For no one. And don't get caught. I might have a job for you. Are you handy? What with hammers and such? You've seen her in films. They're outside my house all the time. The paparazzi. Sometimes they come over the walls. Could you get someone off the property if you needed to? Could you help look after me? Yes. This may remember. How'd you get this number? You really think I'm gonna let you walk free around this planet? He said you owe him. I don't know him anything. You're a gangster. You're part of my firm. There are other things I can do. And maybe I want to do them. If I fell in love with you, what would you do about it? Everything. You're an accessory now. It's a bit like being married, you know, it's for life. Gangs of New York. 21 grams. Vera Drake. I for, forgot about that one. Never um, seen it. Wow, you've never seen Vera Drake? I've never seen Vera Drake. Are, are no. you, you're not a you're not a um a Mike guy. It's not that I'm not a Mike guy. It's that <laughs> I just haven't seen a lot of his movies. I like everything I've seen. Which I ones just, have you seen? Uh, we're on a tangent and a tangent, and we're not. Even I know, I know, I know. But I want to get into this right now because we, we there, there is another like uh, Mike. Uh, um, Okay, you're, you're gonna be you're gonna be mad at me when I answer this question. Are you ready? Yeah, tell me. Man. I've seen. <laughs> I've seen naked. Okay, good. Good for this episode. I, I've seen Secrets and Lies. Good. I've seen Life probably is probably his best movie. I think that's not true. I've seen Life is Sweet and I've seen Topsy Turvy. Now let's rewind for a second there because Secrets and Lies is fucking incredible. It's not his best movie. Naked's his best movie. I yeah it's hard it's there's such different films and he's doing such different things in both of those movies it's it's really hard to pick apart but I gotta um, look this up fantastic get get back in your tangent and then I'll (laughs) I I gotta look this shit up real quick Um, the new world baby we covered it V for Vendetta Mission Impossible 3 didn't cover it maybe maybe one day that'll come up Miami Vice covered that one where we going? Happy Go Lucky, Hancock. Remember that movie? Weird one. Never saw it. Uh, me and Orson Welles, Red Riding, Sherlock Holmes, uh, London Boulevard. Today's episode, baby. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows. I completely forgot he was in both of those movies. Uh, War Horse, Snow White and the Huntsman, Jack the Giant Slayer. Another. He's got a lot of like movies that kind of don't exist on this list here. Uh, hey now jack the giant slayer <laughs> exists i've seen it and i like it <laughs> filth concussion um atomic blonde deadpool 2 white boy rick white Mowgli, boy legend rick. of the jungle <laughs> vice boo and um oh we got more uh uh, uh hobbs and shaw 
don't remember him in that either. I don't um, remember him in that. We do have the gentleman. We do have Wrath a fourth one coming and Operation up. Fortune, <laughs> Ruse de Guerre. Um, uh, you know, all back to back to back. Uh, we have the Contractor, which is that Chris Pine uh, special ops movie that I keep trying to talk about for whatever reason, even though it's not very good. And uh, by Tariq like, Salah and like that Fair Play oh, movie I, that just came out. Like I, I always say this about the Contractor, a movie I've not seen. Like a week after that movie came out, Tariq uh, Sela, director <laughs> of straight-to-video Chris Pine action movie, The Contractor, won an award at the Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> the timing of that is so funny. It's so it's so strange. I'm yeah. I'm assuming that movie got put like heavily heavily pushed because of the pandemic. sure. I'm assuming sure. that's what the story of. What did he win? Did he win screenplay? Not for The Contractor, obviously. Um. um he won he won screenplay he won screenplay at last year's con i know it was it was in competition like it yeah, was yeah, it was yeah, selected it was competition. to compete yeah. for the palm yeah, yeah so yeah. uh boy from heaven aka cairo conspiracy cairo conspiracy um, cairo way conspiracy way, way better title. insane that they retitled that movie <laughs> to, to boy cairo from conspiracy heaven. only to open it on like january 3rd in five cities like oh, what's the retitle there um, okay, so this is what I was going to say is that, um, you know how Letterboxd does that like incredibly lame thing where they go to like red carpets and they make like famous yeah. people who have like actual things they can be doing. Yeah, like, they're, they're list their four favorite movies straying into watch Mojo territory. Yeah, it, it sucks yeah. and I hate it. And I watch them all because I'm interested in the answers, but I also think that this is lame as an idea. Are um, you going to tell me that there's an Eddie Marsden one? No, I'm going to oh. tell you that. They asked Kelly Reichardt to do it. Oh God! Um, and Kelly Reichardt were they all listed, Kelly Reichardt films? No, better. They were all Mike Lee TV movies. Oh baby! From when he was making like BBC movies of the week. I don't want. I don't want anything else. Um. Okay. So to to wrap that whole cold open up, this is our third Eddie Marsden film. Should um, you have saved this for? No, I have to. I have to think of something else to do for the for the fourth time. I know uh, what I'm doing for that one, which is uh, screaming loudly. I uh, I also the podcast before I have to rewatch it. <laughs> I'll think of something like whenever we'll have four time uh, returners who don't have Mount Rushmore's. I'll think of something else to do for them. Um, yeah, there's uh, another thing. There's another thing I've been dying to do before we actually start this episode, which is a shame because this episode's going to be shorter. But can I just read you? I know you know who's in this movie, but can I just read you the cast to Cold Mountain? It will go over all the people. Yes, all the people who are in that movie. Cold Mountain. All the people who are in that movie that we've already talked about or are going to talk about. And yet we've, I don't know if we've ever brought movie up on this podcast um but yes never seen uh anthony mangella's 2003 civil war epic cold mountain it uh i think it won renee zellweger her first academy award you are Um, correct yeah so it stars jude law who we've covered and nicole kidman nomination who we will cover think she got an oscar nomination for that but i I could not tell you if she didn't i'm gonna look that shit up i know that's law's second um, Renee Zellweger, she did not get one. Sorry, Nicole didn't. Renee obviously wins. Brendan Gleeson is in that. Movie. I knew that. <laughs> I, that I knew. It. Philip Seymour Hoffman is in that movie. 
Natalie yes, Portman is. is in that movie. Giovanni yep. Rabisi is in that movie. What? Yeah. Donald <laughs> Sutherland is in that what? movie. Killian Murphy is in that movie. <laughs> sure. Well, that's that early. Is, that is, you have to acknowledge, that is early for him to be in a big Hollywood movie. It is very early for him, and he was he he was cast on his eyes alone. That's as much as I'll say. Had had him. did Mignella like really like Disco Pigs? Because if you told me <laughs> Anthony Mignella, have you seen Disco Pigs? You would I like have Disco, Disco Pigs, but I should watch it. Yeah. I should watch it like tonight. Um, that's a fun Jack, movie. Jack White, the musician. I knew that plays like a fairly important role in the movie, not like a yeah. main cast role, but like he has lines and, and he's like a main character by the time the movie ends. Uh, Emily Deschanel is in that movie. Charlie Hunnam is in that movie, although I couldn't tell you who he actually is because I the last time I saw it, I watched it on like a really low grade rip. Um, Jenna Malone apparently is in this film. Sure. Uh, Lucas Black, who you may not know by name, but is I the main. Absolutely, what the yeah. fuck, good I, I sir? That's more for good the. That's more for the. Sir. That's more for the listener than you, Cole. Who's oh, you know, what's Cole, Lucas who, Black? In? Who get, what's Lucas you, Black? In? Tell me you what's give. Luke, what? Well, uh, you you specifically, Cole. Cole, you give the Fast and Furious franchise its due worth. So I think yes. you know Lucas Black for. And for that specifically, reason. what movie do I give its due worth? Oh, Tokyo Drift, baby. And what have I repeatedly said about Tokyo Drift? I don't know. What have you said about Tokyo Drift? It would Drift? be the greatest movie ever made if Lucas Black wasn't in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he's like also the, the quarterback in Friday Night Lights. Is, the movie yeah. Friday Night Lights. You know what only. Lucas Black's really good in? What? F9. Oh. Because he's, he's... When he shows up with Lil Bow Wow. Who's yeah, Bow wow. like... Yeah. He is the bad thing about Tokyo Drift is Lucas Black. Both in that the casting is bad, like the fact that, that character's white is like the <laughs> big like black mark, excuse yeah. the phrase, on that movie. I don't know if you know this, that movie was written to be about a Korean kid living in Seoul who gets sent to Tokyo. That makes a like, lot more sense so it's than still what we this, actually like, end up getting. Yeah, like fish out of water. He's 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 of a different like in, from a different country. Stuff going on, but like they made them cast a white kid. So the problem is a that there's this like weird white savior stuff that comes with that, um, and b that Lucas Black is bad in the movie. <laughs> he's so fucking funny when he shows back up in F nine though, like basically as like Fast and Furious Johnny Knoxville. Yeah, and they all also they're doing is like they're not like a jackass YouTube page. Well, the weirdest part, the doesn't he come? Doesn't he come up in F seven or eight in like he the beginning of the movie? Also, and seven, yeah. And because the weirdest part is because Han dies in Tokyo Drift in between six and seven. Uh, so no, I in between. Oh, oh, whatever. He he dies. Yeah. No, here's here's what after it is, six is that... he goes to Tokyo. But yes. six takes place in 2010 and Tokyo Drift takes place in like 2005. <laughs> what what it specifically is, is that the chronology goes Fast and Furious 6, the first hour of, and then the first hour of, of Tokyo Drift takes place concurrently with the first 10 minutes of Furious 7. Yes, yes. And yeah. then the post credit scene from... 
Furious Six. Fast and Furious Six happens in, in the there. middle. Happens in the yeah. middle of Tokyo Drift, and then the rest of Tokyo Drift happens, and then you pick back up with Furious Seven yeah. if you want those movies. To... But say what you're going to say because I know what you're about to say. Because in Tokyo Drift, Lucas Black plays a high schooler. Yes. So supposedly, when he shows up in Furious Seven, he's supposed to be a high schooler, or at but least like recently n- graduated from high not school. just that. Yes. Is it? It's explicitly. Him showing up in Furious 7 is explicitly five minutes after the last shots of Tokyo Drift. Yes. Yeah. So he's he has aged 10 years in real life. He looks like he looks like a 47-year-old man yeah, when he shows he up so in Fury 7, but he's supposed to be a high schooler. And then yeah. just to tie that all together, he is in the um he is in the Billy uh the Billy Bob, um, all the pretty horses film that Matt Damon stars in. And he was, he was a child actor in that movie. He was like 10 or 12 when he was in that movie, but he has the same 47 year old face that he's had for his entire life. Even when he was cast as like a high school quarterback in Friday night lights and a high school drifter in, in Tokyo drift. Um, to get through this, to get through this, Ethan <laughs> Suppley is in cold mountain and Ray Winstone. Who's in the movie that oh, we Suppley. Yeah. So crazy, crazy, crazy fucking cast. I, I promise you we will talk about this movie, <laughs> but there are three theatrically released films from after the white stripes pop that Jack White is in where he's not playing himself. So excluding like coffee and cigarettes or the Muppets or anything where he pops up as Jack White. Connor, off the dome, can you name the three movies where Jack White has actually played oh a character? You've named one of them. I've named one of them. Like, the, in the, wait, in this episode recording, I've named one of them? Yes, you literally just named it. Why did, why did, oh, why Cold Mountain. About, Cold Mountain is one yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you name the other two? These are both cameos, but he is playing a character in both of them. Oh, oh man, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. I He's in Walk he Hard. Do, he did. Oh, he's in Walk Hard. He's, he, plays Elvis. he plays Elvis in Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. And this okay. this is about to make you flip your fucking wig. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> he's in Killers of he's the Flower in... Moon. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. I was going to make a joke that you were going to say that he was in the Bourne Supremacy. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm excited to see him. He apparently has a cameo in Killers of the Flower Moon as radio show actor. <laughs> I'll take it. Hey, Connor, do you That's know who funny. directed Killers of the Flower Moon? Uh, man, I don't know. You want to tell me? You want to? Uh, Martin Scorsese. You know me. what else Martin Scorsese he directed? The Departed. You know it's a great fucking movie. The Departed. Yeah, you know it's not a great movie. London Boulevard. London Boulevard. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Above the Title, the world's <laughs> premier Colin Farrell podcast. Uh, Connor, the streak fucking continues we are only talking about bad movies on this show baby yeah, let's we are go in a pit right now we are in a pit this is what i've been saying is like when i i feel like i keep harping on my like in bruges is not actually a comeback for colin thing because it's not only that he like isn't getting lead roles off of it but everything he's in is just a stinker i guess my assumption because i had not seen a lot of these films uh, before us doing this podcast um, was that some of these must have been good. Yeah. And, I, like I, I had never seen crazy heart. Uh, my assumption was always that crazy heart was, was probably like, fine. Yeah. 
was was a good movie a movie that like if you love jeff bridges like i do you would probably have a really really good time watching it which i did not have while watching it i, I, I had was. not seen pride and glory but like we talked about that on yeah. paper from my other experiences with gavin o'connor and then just the fact that it's about irish cops in new york like yeah. i just figured it was a knockout of the park and i i would have loved it um on dean sounds great on paper ones. i'd never seen that I had seen um, before. But yeah. you don't uh Yeah, you I know you had seen that I had it. But like specifically this movie. And this move this week's movie is London Boulevard, which is written and directed by William Monaghan, who wrote The Deposit. That's the, the analogy Deposit. I was making. This is his directorial yeah. debut. It's one of only two movies he's directed. Both of them stink. Um I haven't seen the second one. I saw it when it came out. I didn't realize till today, till looking up to see if he'd done anything else that it was him. It's a Mojave with Garrett Hedlund and Oscar Isaac. Um it's like an he, LA thriller, right? Yeah, it used to be it used to be like an immutable fact of the world that the first movie A24 would put out in any given year was some like completely anonymous crime thriller that no one saw and no one liked and had no legacy. Um it was like my joke was always that it was like a, a spell they had to cast to like keep the heat running for the rest of the year. Um I walked into this movie so ready to be like, oh, this movie's going to fucking rule, isn't it? Because like, well, I told you, I was like, my suspicion was that it wasn't very good, because if it was good, I me knowing me and my taste in movies, I would have seen it by this. You would have seen it. And yes, to some degree, the like the fact that this movie has no reputation is a big warning sign. But I was like, first of all, like it's another big Colin leading role. It's Colin and Kieran Knightley, which feels like right, aimed right at yours truly. It kind of feels like a match the, made in heaven, honestly. The, the, it does feel like a match made in heaven. Think about both of them as performances and both of them as celebrities. It kind of sounds like the perfect yes. on-screen pairing. The Departed is the best movie ever made, basically. <laughs> and then, like, I, I texted you watching it when I started it this morning. I texted you that the opening credits made me do the fucking uh, Vince McMahon meme. Because <laughs> the cast of this thing is yeah. stacked. I was so excited. And the movie just does not deliver. Because let, let me tell you, listeners, let me tell you who's in this fucking movie, Okay. It's Eddie a 2010, Morrison, the 2010 number one film, on the, number one on the call sheet. 2010 film, London Boulevard, written and directed by William Monaghan, based on the novel by Ken Burns, starring Colin Farrell, Kira Knightley, David Thewlis, Anna Friel, Ben Chaplin, Ray Winstone, Eddie Marzen, Sanjeev Baskar? <laughs> yeah. The great British comedian Sanjeev Baskar's in this movie? And fucking, I mean, the guy who made me like fucking roll my eyes back in the back of my skull and nut in my pants basically was when the fucking like Stephen Graham Stephen Graham with someone else pops up. I was like, Stephen Graham. <sighs> it's like insulting that Stephen Graham does not get single card building in this movie. And I know he's like not in the movie basically. Um, yeah, but I he's loves Stephen. Yeah, has he has has Boardwalk Empire started? This uh, yeah, Boardwalk Empire, I think, is going to start like two weeks after this movie opens in the UK. Stephen Graham, he's he's so good. I'm happy. He, see... I, I'm happy he finally worked with Scorsese because it was just like yeah, he's so finally. fucking good in the Irishman. Yeah. Um, have you seen Boiling Point? Bo- uh, no. Not you, yeah. I think, would like Boiling Point. Um, 
it's like his only big leading role outside of a Shane Meadows movie. Um, well, that's what I was going to say was like, he doesn't, he's, he's had a good career. He's been in a lot of stuff. He's given amazing performances in a lot of these films, but, but he, he's, he's never really given the opportunity to lead projects or carry it on his shoulders. Yeah. In the point. Stephen Graham stars 90 minutes. For for real single take, not like a not like a stitched together single take. Oh wow! For real single take, he's the chef of an upscale restaurant in London, uh, and you watch like everything implode around him. Oh, so it's good burnt, is what you're. Yeah, he basically (laughs) is very burnt. It's like he 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 comes in and he finds out that like they lost a star and the most important restaurant critics coming in and like they didn't order the fucking food and it's just like this fucking intense like everyone screaming at each other in a tiny kitchen I'm in, man you I'm would down. like this movie yeah. it's a good time and he's it's like it is good to see him like give a big ham sandwich just like capital a acting performance you know mm. yeah what i if love about Stephen graham what I love about Stephen Graham before going off is that um, before talking actually about the film itself. No, let's um, talk about Stephen Graham. Well, I love that. I love that. <laughs> he somehow like has nailed the, the like Cagney esque, like old timey gangster thing to, yeah. to a level that, to a level that no modern actor has been able to achieve or, or like even like get that. close to. I like yeah. that. Yeah. And he is like, two he's, scenes. He's, he's got that like live wire energy to him you know the thing that he's he he, he's almost like a more down-to-earth joe pesci in in a lot of these projects that he's been cast in um i like in the richie films when he's cast as like the normal guy a lot of times and then in the american projects that he's in they they cast him as like the little psycho the joe pesci-esque cagney-esque uh live wire he is like on hair like underappreciated how good he is in snatch yeah um he is so fucking funny in snatch are you aware that they made a snatch tv show (laughs) no it was (laughs) that sentence you just said just blew my mind it was a i was not aware of that at all it was a crackle original a crackle wow yeah we're not even talking about like bbc or like channel four or anything like that crackle it's a wow. crackle original. So um, when's it? When was it made? Uh, 2017. What? Yeah, years old. Ran for two seasons. What? Um. Oh, here's here's the part that's gonna make you like lose your mind. Oh my god! It's not like a one to one analogy to the show. Like they're all playing. They're all different characters, right? It's not like a sequel or a remake or anything. But okay. it's like a Fargo s thing where like everyone's roughly based on like a character or two from the TV show. And my understanding is the protagonist of the show is the direct analogy for the Stephen Graham character. And he's played by fucking Rupert Grint. (laughs) Yeah. What? I want, I need, I want to watch it though. Yeah. I would watch a Rupert Grint. um, Yeah. Stephen Graham, like buddy cop movie. Is his character's name Tommy or something like that? His character's name's Tommy. Yeah. Uh, Snatch, good movie. Not not a great movie, but a, a, it a, a fun a fun movie. Yeah, uh, really good Benicio del Toro performance. I don't know. I like everyone in that movie. It's not the best fucking uh, Guy Ritchie movie, but it's it's a good time. I like that that movie understands 
which is that movie does something that this movie does not do. And I, <laughs> I know I know William Moynihan was like very upfront about not wanting to rip off Guy Ritchie style. He could have obviously done a better job well, of not doing that. <laughs> Um, because it's it does a funny feel thing for like, him to say yeah it, because it does feel like quite often in this film it is kind of poaching aesthetic aspects of that richie style especially in the way the characters talk to each it, other it's poaching um, something but it's not poaching richie it, have you is, seen are you gonna say well what what go have, go have you seen a little movie called layer cake Oh, so, so by... you're saying it's poaching Vaughn, Matthew Vaughn. Well, no, it's not yeah. poaching Matthew Vaughn. It's poaching Life Matthew Game. Vaughn before yeah. he becomes Matthew Vaughn. This movie so badly wants to be the 2004 Matthew Vaughn film Layer Kick. Like, aggressively so. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I agree. I'm in agreement with that. But to, to stay yeah. to stay in in this space, yes. um, I think what Richie's good films do are not bog themselves down with like needless melodrama, like needless yes. character, yes, emotional weight and stuff like that. So there's a time and place for that, just not in these Richie-esque films. And then, so so they're just kinetic. It's like watching a pinball on a table bounce back and forth yeah. when you're watching one of his movies. That's what makes them funny. Like I, I laugh when I watch Richie's good films because they, they, they bounce so hard and so kinetically from space to space, from character to character, yeah. from crazy thing happening to crazy thing happening, that it, it like, it just it, it, it does nothing less than like achieve just like putting a smile on your face because you're just getting taken on this roller coaster ride and a roller coaster coaster ride that doesn't that doesn't fall back on like traditional cinematic spectacle, something like a Top Gun Maverick or, or anything like that, where you're going to getting swept away by like, not the movie effects. I thought you were about to say. <laughs> well, I was just, that's like the first one that comes to mind right now when I'm thinking of like spectacle yeah. films. Um, also like to be clear, layer cake is just like realist guy, Richie, right? Yes, yeah. Like with yeah. the with the high octane sapped out and none of the jokes, it's like, what if you played a guy Richie movie straight? That's all layer cake is. What if you played a guy Richie movie straight and then like as the movie is going on, you're realizing that the character's flaw for the most part is that he thinks he's in the guy Richie movie, yeah. but it's like, no, there's actual like consequences to the things that are happening here. Yeah. Which doesn't happen in a guy Richie movie, which we'll yes. talk about at some point. Well the consequences in Guy Ritchie movies are normally like cute. Yeah. They're like, oh, we lost the diamonds, right? Yeah. It's it's usually like somebody that you don't care about at all dies. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of all have a chance to like take a step back and be and and you know, question what they're doing I mean, and grieve about it. And then they move on. This is this is why Wrath of Man is the best guy Richie movie. Is <laughs> because Wrath of Man is the movie that's like, what if all this shit had like really upsetting consequences and was basically a horror movie? Yeah. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it when we when we get to it. Um not Wrath, Wrath of, of Man. But uh <laughs> yeah. we'll talk about Richie when we get to Richie. Want to do an episode on the gentleman. I just don't want to do it. I, I hate I'm not, that movie. I'm not man. dying to do it either. I hate um, that movie so much. Tell tell the yeah. people what this movie's about, Connor. Okay, how do how do I even wrap up a movie like this? I think I'll start by just saying that it is adapted from a novel, and it suffers from you don't that thing that say. happens so often, 
where while you're watching a film that you're aware was adapted by a, a novel and it becomes very clear that in the process of adapting said novel, they didn't, I don't want to say dumb it down, but there is a, there is an essence of filtering that has to be done when you're taking a, a when you're taking a thick text and you're adapting it to the screen because the screen as so many film theorists have said over the last few decades it requires like a patience and it requires like a building of momentum that that written text doesn't and yeah. so while you're watching this one it's clear that there are storylines in the book that Moynihan probably did his best to try to incorporate into the film but because films just do not progress and do not pace themselves in the same way that novels do every storyline feels strained to like the maximum degree because they can't exist simultaneously yes. together on screen um which makes it difficult to recap because a lot of these things feel very unrelated to each other even if thematically unrelated to each other i have not read the book but you know it's not this is an isolated case this happens very often in films that are adapted from novels especially yeah, I mean, like moody novels that cover a lot of ground you know it's it's a bit of a hacky thing to say but you know it's a thing people always say that like short stories are movies novels are tv shows uh have you yeah, seen yeah, to some have extent. you seen blitz the the Jason Statham Patty Considine cop uh, cop thriller I have but I I don't remember it very well I, I definitely uh, saw that movie when it came out whether yes. it be like 2010 uh, good or, movie yeah. I like it a lot uh based on a novel by the same author that's why I brought that up Statham made pretty like ingenious career decisions for a solid yeah. like ten year stretch there yeah um even Meg if, if two. not more if not Meg more two. <laughs> Meg two good movie um but yeah so this film it stars Colin Farrell as Mitch Mitchell right like not Mitch Mitchell his name is That'd Mitchell hilarious <laughs> short into Mitch um he is uh an ex-con who's just been released from prison he gets picked up by his buddy named Billy Ben, Ch ben uh, Chaplin right mm -hmm. yeah so Billy who is like a low-level enforcer, part of this gang that's run by Ray Winstone, who, you, who you, you're not introduced to until later in the film, uh, takes Mitch out, uh, gets him set up in an in a condo, I guess, that they had stole from some doctor who was who was late on his loan repayments that he had from the loan sharks. Um, kind of requires that Mitch come around with him while he's on his day job activities, which is essentially picking up protection money from people who live in tenement housing. Uh, even though Mitchell does not want to be a part of the underworld any longer, he's just been released from jail. He doesn't want to go back. He wants to lead a clean life. At the same time, because Mitch stepped in to stop uh, a girl from being harassed at an ATM, I believe, early on in the film, mm -hmm. that girl just so happens to be really close friends with a reclusive actress, a reclusive young actress played by Kira Knightley uh, of the character. I can't remember her name. I should find Charlotte. out right now. Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah. Charlotte. Charlotte. <laughs> Charlotte. Okay. Okay. No, no, no. Charter. 
no, no, I've, I got it. So um, the girl says my friend Charlotte is looking for somebody to do work on the house, um, this big estate that she lives in in the middle of London as she's a successful actress. So Mitchell goes to her residence and meets her friend uh, played by David Thewlis. I'm not going to look that name up. Can't remember it Jordan. at all. Jordan. Okay. So Jordan is uh, is a live-in companion to Charlotte. He's obviously had some like drug issues. was also an actor, was part of the entertainment industry, that type of world. Um, they bring Mitchell in to do housework. He starts falling in love with Charlotte as she is kind of fading away from the constant paparazzi that's following her around, always trying to get photographs of her. Um, while that is going on, he gets dragged into this kind of like territorial skirmish that's happening between Ray Winstone's gang and uh, not a gang, but like a group of um, black Islamists who live in one of the tenement buildings that Billy is supposed to get payment from. And Mitchell doesn't want to be a part of that. And I can't remember necessarily how we get from A to Z, but essentially Colin Farrell has to fight Ray Winstone. Um, a lot of people end up dying. Colin Farrell is left to live at the end of the movie. I I should have recapped something very important early in the film, but uh, yeah, you just realized where you're yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. yeah another, another adjacent storyline early in the film is that Mitchell is friends with a homeless man who lives underneath a bridge and that homeless man is killed by like two teenagers who are just looking to get into trouble. Um, very clockwork orange esque, uh, that kind of like youthful ultra violence that's happening there. Um, at one point, Mitchell tries to learn who these kids are and where, and where they hang out, where they reside. So he can take them out himself in um, revenge for killing his homeless friend. He has the opportunity to, but he passes on it because he wants to leave that part of his life behind him. So at the end of the film, when he's about to leave to go to Los Angeles to spend presumably the rest of his life with Charlotte, he gets stabbed in the back by one of the kids that he opted not to kill early in the film I mean, because the kids had heard that he had been checking in on them and asking about their whereabouts and such. Sorry, yeah. sorry to spoil a 20-year-old movie. Uh it's literally the fucking ending of Layer Cake. Yeah. <laughs> like this idea that like this incidental thing that had happened earlier in the movie that you thought was resolved, like this incidental character who he brushes into, like ends up popping up back at the very end and killing him. Mm -hmm. uh, for something that like is nothing to do with the labyrinth and you know crime plots of the rest of the movie yeah yeah uh connor i do need to it's a messy something. it's a it's a really messy movie really it has movie. beautiful cinematography i i think the acting is actually pretty good on all accounts it's just yeah the... i i think the acting is good if you can get past the fact that like everyone here is just giving their most like straight down the middle obvious typecast performance yeah, that they would yeah. give as an actor right like yeah it's well except for maybe david thulis who is no david thulis something... is literally just giving his performance from naked like he has just stumbled into this movie from naked he's such a he's such a like more laid back like softer character. sure but so, it's yeah it's a lot of it is stuff he's pulling from the the old bag of tricks 
Um, that is somewhat somewhat true, but I think he yeah. he's he's clearly doing more work on screen than the rest. Oh yes, of course. Actors. But he's yeah. well, he he and Knightley are the busiest actors in general yeah. who are in this movie in terms of like their acting styles. Yeah. So like that's that's the point I'm making is like it doesn't feel like any of these performances were directed beyond that Monahan cast really good actors and kind of just and cast them appropriately as types and kind of just let them work and so Thulis and Knightley are going to be acting a little more than everyone else in this movie is because they're just that type of performer uh is there anything like amazingly important that I missed in the plot synopsis. Uh, no, I do want to note that um, there's a whole storyline with Colin Farrell's sister in the movie irrelevant, too, that I just irrelevant. Like, missed out only, on. Yeah. Only worth noting because of how fucking excited I got when Sanjeev Bhaskar showed up. Yeah, uh, but it's a, it's a perfect Bhaskar. example. It's a perfect example of like, I'm sure this, this story was this. I'm sure this mini character arc, this story within the larger story was very impactful in the book. So Moynihan felt sure. it was important to retain it in the film, but in the film itself, because of the way films are paced and the way they move, it just, every time you cut away to his sister or his interaction with his sister, you're just kind of like stuck scratching your head and being like, this is not important to the rest of everything else that's happening. Uh, the sister is somewhat re related to my favorite part of this movie, but we'll talk about that later. Mm -hmm. Um, the the thing I wanted to say though is when you when you just said your description your plot summary of this movie, you kind of mentioned Kira Knightley who is second build in this movie, and then you stopped talking about her, which is a pretty accurate summary of what the fuck is going on with Kira Knightley in this is, movie. Yes. Well, so you know the I movie the movie wants this to be like the relationship between Will Hunting and um, Mini uh, Driver. That's what it wants it to be. Yeah, I think you got the wrong analogy there, buddy. You think? So So, I got what is legitimately and earnestly probably my favorite part of this movie, right? Right. Holding it up to the camera right now, listeners, you can't see it. But what I'm talking about is the poster to this movie, which is really good. I really it's like the fine. poster. No, I think it's, it's okay. It's good. But, but Connor, yeah. does this poster remind you of anything? I mean, it looks like a Bond poster. Oh, but... see, that's interesting. So, yeah. for... For reference, the, the poster for this movie is Colin Farrell in, like, straight-up, like, British gangster movie mode, wearing a suit, holding a gun pointed at the camera, standing up against a wall of which, like, fashion photos, posters of, like, Kira Knightley's character have been pasted. Uh, Connor, the, the, the analogy I'm trying to make is, this is the Notting Hill poster. Oh yeah, I because what that... this movie wants to be is crime movie Notting Hill. Yeah, but it's it's okay. So that that general aspect of it, the fact that Knightley's character is that Charlotte is a is a movie star, very famous, paparazzi are all over the place. She's in the news all the time. Like that aspect is shared with it. But I think it's more like this idea, like it, it wants to be this idea of like this guy escaping the very bottom layer of yes. society that he's been a part of and like taking the risk of joining with her in this like upper echelon of society that yes. she's a part of that she's also struggling with and that's what i mean where it's like it, it wants you to have that kind of connection between 
who they are in society and like how they deal within their individual layers of society and them falling in love with each other the same way that like you have will hunting who it feels like many drivers slumming it when she's with him because he's from Southie and like an ex-con and all that stuff i i feel like this movie wants you to 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 have that kind of emotional journey with them sure but the the problem is is that well it doesn't land because it's it's not developed the the relationship with the celebrity is so secondary to everything else it's just like a thing that happens in this movie but this is the point i was making is i am not the world's biggest notting hill fan i know there are people who love that movie i think it's just kind of whatever but let's be perfectly clear Notting Hill is both a movie about an ordinary bookseller falling in love with a movie star and a movie about a movie star falling in with a bookseller, right? Yeah. Like this sort of class treason in a way, like goes both ways in a relationship like this to this extreme. And this movie, there's this fucking scene in this movie where Knightley gives this monologue. It is probably the most she speaks in the film where she gives this monologue about how the roles like women in, in movies, your, your role is either to be a sex object or to be this like sounding board uh, to, to, to help develop, develop the male characters. And I'm like, I, I literally wrote down in my notes, nice of Kira to directly describe her own character in this movie. It is insane to put that speech yeah. in a movie that is like this disinterested in this woman beyond arm candy for the Well, guy. I mean, I guess that's what I'm saying where it's even like in addition to Notting Hill, I think it also wants to do what um, Gina Prince Bythewood is doing in Beyond the Lights where it's like yeah, you have this no, celebrity. That's, a, that's an even better analogy. Yeah. You have this celebrity <sighs> that's that's in a state of trauma due to their status of like being unable to connect to the world around them because they are put on this pedestal and just kind of like ogled at as an object and not as an actual person. And then you have this, this other person who's coming from a, a completely like a, a very much more grounded, but also like very extreme part of society. That's kind of laying counterbalance to that but this movie doesn't explore it at all it's what you're saying it's like oh she's literally describing in that scene the way her character functions when with within this film which is just to be like another like an aspirational object for mitchell to kind of like aspire for to hope for to live up to um as he's trying to make his way out of the london underground it's it's a symbol for like you said like a symbol of like successful escape from this lower class world that he's like aspiring to right yeah and like look i'm gonna be perfectly honest like let me take myself off my own fucking high horse for a second there are certainly plenty of crime movies that i like where there's like a woman who only exists to be like a metaphorical alternate path uh for what the Departed. <laughs> yeah, The Departed. Or you're not gonna like what I'm about to say, but um, Heat. Oh, I mean, right? that, uh, the thing about the thing about Heat is like that's kind of uh, aside from looking through Heat from like an unbiased critical lens. Like the looking at the female characters in man's film is kind of just like a fascination. And oh, of course, of course, yeah. of course. But yeah. like, if if The Godfather is like. Let us have K function as this like 
symbolic object in the class structure of the movie and then also have k be this like interesting nuanced character the movie fully explores a lot of movies like a lot of movies rip off a lot of things in the godfather a lot of movies a lot of movies i like a lot have just been like but let's just make the k character just be this like aspirational object yes of course so i'm acknowledging that this movie is not unique in that degree. The problem with this movie is I'm like, but she's famous. And once you're like, but she's famous, I'm like, no, you got to like explore this more. Like I, I need to understand what she gets out of this. The, the fucking third conversation they have, she's like, I think I'm falling in love with you. And I'm like, are you, can we stay in this rom-com zone almost? Right. Like, I'm not saying it needs to be funny. I'm saying like, it's not just that this has more potential. This is clearly the hook of the movie that distinguishes it from any British crime film, right? Like, so spend time in this side of the narrative because that's the interesting stuff. And don't just like regurgitate the fucking like dudes on the street British movie we've all seen a hundred of. Yeah, it's just I, all I can do is sigh. When I it's think about so it boring. in this way, because it's it doesn't do anything that you haven't seen before, is which is essentially what you're saying. Yeah. And, and even though there's... it kind of like it sets up this scenario where like a new spin on this on the a new spin on these ideas that have been stated before, but like never within yeah. the context of each other can like be, be coerced into having con- discourse with each other. But they're not. It's the it within the film itself, they remain separate. Yeah. And as a result, like you said, they have they're a good pair to put together on screen. I I don't know about you. I did not find them having as much chemistry as I wanted. And like maybe no, that's I because mean, I'm just fucking assuming that like these two actors have been so like off the charts hot in other like like off the charts hot in other romances like the chemistry's been so insane that i like want this movie to be fucking radiating like that like i know both of them can and have done well can i get into it for a second like from my perspective of both of them as actors and as celebrities is they both are very aware of their attractiveness. It's not something that like, yes. they are caught off guard by, but they are also both very willing to present themselves as the character and not as hot. Like Colin Farrell, I think enjoys being an attractive hot man, but he's also very willing to give the character over to whatever the director oh, of course. are asking of him. And Kira Knightley does very similar things, although she hasn't been asked to do as much in a lot of the roles that she has accepted. Um, and then Kira it's is... remarkable how open call I think they also are like provide very interesting aspects of how celebrity men and celebrity women are looked at by the media not 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 so much by society but more like at how the entertainment media covers them because they've both been hounded in that celebrity style that it, that replicates how Charlotte is kind of like constantly yes. photographed and and harassed by paparazzi in the film. Um, but I think it's interesting how what got Colin in trouble early in his career was his lack of filter and his 
willingness to be like, it, it's not necessarily an openness because he's not necessarily talking about himself or like he, he does nowadays, but early in his career, he, he would just be willing to say things that just for like comedic effect while he was in an interview. And th- these are interviews that are like really fun, and entertaining to watch now, but at the time they like got him in trouble and got his career in trouble. And then with Kira Knightley, you have like this, this other end of the spectrum where from what I understand about f- from her, from contemporary reviews of the last couple of years, like around the films she had come out that the expectation of her to be like a glamorous star was so high, so through the roof, so unattainable to her. It like gave her extremely heightened levels of anxiety. And she, in in a way that mirrors what happens in this film, had to like very mm-hmm. consciously take a step back from the public limelight, limelight because of these expectations that were placed on her, like without her consent, like against her will, not, not things that she wanted to aspire to live up to. Um, and I think because of that, I think because they both, they're both very conscious of who they are aesthetically and as performers, and because they both understand kind of the industrial machinations of the entertainment industry, like how you make, you get cast in the movie to get the movie funding, and then you mm-hmm. make the movie, but then you have to promote the movie, and then you have to go through this like entire cycle of promotion and maybe like awards run. And as you're doing that, you're trying to get attached to other films to get funding on those films so that you can make those films and do the whole thing all over again. They they both seem very conscious and aware of the way that this industry works as an industrial sure. mechanism and not just as people making art, which is what we'd all love it to be. And because of that, I think like to me, they feel like they should be a knockout of the park to pair up yeah. together. My my also thought is like Colin Farrell is the guy and this isn't even like top tier but colin farrell is the actor who gave us the fucking like seduction scene at the start of intermission if you remember the scene (laughs) i'm talking about right yeah yeah. where he can just turn on the charm like nothing and just make her uh carrie condon just like fall for him immediately and Kira Knightley is the actress who, like, again, let's take the obvious ones off the table. Kira Knightley is the actress who gave us the fucking, like, wedding sword fight scene in Pirates of the Caribbean 3, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Where they, like, swing together in the rain and kiss. Like, if you're going to put those two in a romance together, like, they as actors probably could overcome how underwritten the romance is and make me, like, buy it on a purely carnal level and the fact that i don't tells me that neither of them felt and again i don't think they're bad in this movie neither of them felt like it was a movie worth turning on the fucking heat for if you're getting what i'm saying i do get what you're saying like you're taking colin who in who looks like almost promethean in the new world who looks like otherworldly in that movie yes and you're matching him up with kira knightley who in Pride looks and like a renaissance painting she looks like a He's renaissance one of those painting. beautiful people in the world and i think when she is best used not necessarily i don't want to say when she's best cast when the director is like most conscious of what she does well yeah. is in these movies like pride and prejudice and atonement where she could kind of like look at her romantic counterparts with that longing ugh, that ugh. that she does possibly better than any other actor anyone in the world (laughs) and and you're so you're matching that with colin farrell who's able to pull off 
this like ethereal he's he's black irish but like it's still like this ethereal like angelic aesthetic on screen i know it's it is a cliche to say that like Kira knightley is a bit of a woman out of time and i'm sure she loves hearing that um but it is truly like a great tragedy that she never got to be in a david lean movie yeah, because that's the yeah. level of just like pure sweeping emotion that Truly. she. I mean, I know Joe Wright is our David Lean, um, but he is he is looking to your heart. You know, with you. I know. I'm telling the listeners, look at your heart. You know, I'm right. Um, but that's just the level of almost like operatic passion that she is most interested in, like embodying on screen, and it's almost a waste. Obviously, she brings this like innate sense of glamour to the role. Like it is almost like a casting cheat code of like, well, who do you cast as this like beautiful broken doll of a movie star? You cast like the most beautiful person in the world, right? Yeah, it it, it is. Yeah, um, I do like Colin's performance in this movie, and I'm going to throw a bit of a heater at you. Okay. <laughs> I think this is a dark horse contender for hottest he's ever been on screen. He looks he's, really good in this movie. He's the, he does look really good, but he the thing about this movie is he's styled like a guy who doesn't understand that he's good looking. I know that's what's interesting yeah. about it. But he he's whereas he's in other films in other films he gets to be the guy that like understands how hot he is contender we should put that listeners we have like a rough (laughs) list of like stuff we're gonna do at the end of the show just like big picture wrap everything up connor we got to do something about what the hottest the hottest fits are um let's just let's just let's just fucking table that um there's something (laughs) about he just I don't even know what it is and I think part of it is that how like frumpy he's dressed in so much of it almost weirdly accentuates how like insanely good looking he is because it's not like he's trying but I also think it's the gray yeah because he's got these like flecks of gray on his temples in this movie that like probably are die because he's never really even now almost so. 15 years later like that's not even something you you're only now starting to see him that gray in like pat photos i think the um, whole idea is like he's he's got some prison years on him yeah that's what i yeah. think it is but he's i was like actually blown away watching this cuz like i know it feels to it feels to me and it probably feels to you like it's been a fucking while um this is 2 years after in bruges yeah and it is very striking um i and one of like the the smartest things this movie does is in that opening, just the opening of Colin like getting out of prison, just how immediately it feels like he's gone from Ray to Ken. And like that this movie feels aware of its status is like, because this is the first really big post in Bruce leading role. Because if we talk yes, yeah, about... Yeah. The leading roles he takes post in Bruges are obviously you have a writer strike, which are tiny, tiny European productions. Yeah. And the big movies that he appears in post in Bruges, obviously, you've been talking about these past couple of weeks. They're all juicy supporting roles, but they're supporting roles. This movie like does not exist and flops, but on paper is kind of a big deal, as we were talking about. And this is like his big 
post in Bruce leading man role in theory. And I think this movie is aware of that status and the shadow in Bruce carries over it. And I think is consciously trying to position Colin as like an older, more mature, more weathered figure, even though again, it's been two years and he's only what, how old is he when he shoots this? What, like 32, 33, fucking my age almost. Yeah. Uh, I'm not that old, quite. Um, well, in, in in Bruges, it's like I, the thing you forget about in Bruges, which we haven't talked about in a while, but we talked about all the time when when we first started doing this. He's podcast. like 33 when he shoots this movie. He's, he, which again, yeah, he's like I think he had maybe just turned 30, if even that, when he's yeah. shooting in Bruges. And yes, he's playing. Obviously, he's playing young in in Bruges. But, but the thing he's is, old in this. But the thing is, if you look at the careers of actors, which is something I love talking about all the time, because male actors who become movie stars, a lot yes. of the time they don't become movie stars until they're like 36, Older. 37, 38. Yeah. A billion. And percent. their true and their true movie stardom is typically their 40s into the first couple of years of their 50s for 30s most into movie 40s. stars. I think you're and, uh, a bit old. Um, I don't I know, say... man. I don't know. If you if you look back at those if you look back at a lot of those guys from from the 40s to the 60s it's it's their late oh, going 40s back when they're that in the big far. okay yeah. yes um, um i will even say today, i though. think i think part of the reason why timothy chalamet like causes so much profound psychic damage to like so many parts of the culture is that we don't know how to deal with male ingenues because they that, don't exist that's also true yeah. austin butler is 30 and he right? just he just became a movie star. I know that's my point. Yeah. Austin Butler is older than I am. Austin Butler now, like the young, hot, like twinky, like teen teen idol. Austin Butler now is almost as old as Colin Farrell is in London Boulevard. Yeah, and think about like Adam Driver. Think about Oscar Driver Isaac. Old. I know. No, about, I, yeah. you're, no, you're you're totally you're totally right. Yeah, um, but we talked about it all the time early on was like how young he was when he was getting cast as the lead in these yes. gigantic Hollywood blockbuster, aspirational blockbuster movies. And when you get to In Bruges, it's like, okay, they're casting him as young in that movie, which is a little jarring because one, he's been famous for so long. And two, he's played older. He's been cast yes. as older in a lot of the movies that he was in up to that point. But then you think about it and it's like, okay, if that was his big break, it would make sense for him to be cast as that guy in the first place. I mean, when a to, lot to, of to, other actors who are like 28, 29 are getting cast as high schoolers. The, the correct, shows. the, 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 the ages almost match Colin yeah. Farrell and in Bruges. And again, Austin Butler and Elvis in terms of like how much older they're playing. Obviously Butler plays old Elvis later in the movie, but like, like it is the equivalent analogy. The difference is, is that Austin Butler, like, fucking slummed it in disney shit that didn't land for 10 yeah. years and like you said colin is immediately famous for that period that all these other guys get to like hack it out which again and, another know, of course smart, due to his due to his like decision. personal escapades as yeah. well like was a big yes. big tabloid celebrity in addition to being like a, a hollywood leading man a very smart decision on Monaghan's behalf to then like implicitly age him up in this movie and like give him that sense of like road miles. I was going to say a, that he's an actor who has road miles, right? He, definitely. And it's, you know, it's always hard to tell, 
But I think a lot of the work that has gone into making him appear older in this movie is on the makeup because yes. you, we're, we're a few years before Seven Psychopaths when all of a sudden he looks young again. Yes. In that movie. We're <laughs> going to talk about Like that. shockingly young by the time. Yes, he, he does. Yeah. And it's always easier with makeup to make an actor look older than it is for to make them look younger. Oh, a billion. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But yeah, I don't know. I just think Monaghan is aware of like the weight that this implicit age is bringing to him. And I think Colin plays it with this like really nice weariness to everything that I think another actor, both in terms of other actors of his bracket as performers and just as what the casting would bring to it. Yeah. Like someone else would not bring this level of exhaustion to this movie. And I think it's the most interesting aspect of the movie. I'm not making the case that he's like quietly incredible in this movie, just that like it's a ter- that there's nothing to the character. Um, and if you compare it to again, the big analogy, which I think is Craig in Layer Cake, who mm-hmm. I believe is the same age, I think older. I think he's older. When is Daniel Craig cake. born? I think by layer cake, Craig is like 35 or 36. Uh, sure. Roughly yeah. the same age. Oh my God. Daniel Craig is 36. He, uh, he in was, layer cake. Daniel Craig was like 38 or 39 when Casino Royale. Yes. Dropped. Well, there are, there are many things that I, a scholar and intellectual uh, person who is not stupid. I'm not talking about you here, Connor, by the way. Um, there are many things that I, a genius, <laughs> understand about who we should be speculating is going to play James Bond that the fucking morons don't understand. Um, And one of the things that you people are not factoring into this shit is that James Bond can't be younger than 37. He just can't. They just don't do that. Yeah. You're like 40 when you're coming on board. I do think if we're just going to cover it real quickly, I do think for this upcoming casting, I I think they want it they want the actor to be a little bit younger just because of all the trouble they had with Craig once he got like seven years into the role when they're like, are we ready for the next one? He's like, I might kill myself if I have to go right into shooting. It's not, yeah. it's not Craig's fault. I know it's not his fault. They only make yeah. five movies in 15 years. Uh, it's not the aging problem. Um, from what it sounds like to me, though, from what the Broccoli's have said in interviews as they're embarking on this new casting, was maybe that it's not that they misled him, but maybe yes. that nobody was thinking so far ahead when they, they cast were. Craig in 2004, 2005, that he was going to continue being Bond up through like 2019. And so, I mean, well, this this is I the guess way 2020. Have- 2020 was when the last one would have come out. Think about it yeah. this way. There were four there were four Brosnan bonds, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is a seven year gap between them. There are yeah. the the gap covering the first four Craig Bonds is ten years, right? Like which yeah. Which... And then there's a fucking six year gap between four and five. Like, part of it is that No Time to Die, like, they do so much later. To to be fair, if the writer strike in 2008 didn't happen and they had an easier time sure. making Quantum of Solace, I think they would have just continued 
making them every three years for until there were like six of them and then they would have moved on to the next person. But just from the fact that they had to do like Craig to all accounts seems so burned by the experience of having to make quantum of solace under those constrictions that he seemed just like genuinely unwilling to come back to make skyfall until they attached the right people to the project yes. that made skyfall for him a worthwhile project to be there's a lot of yeah. shit that goes on yeah involved in these movies and it's very messy and it's um, actors give years of their lives and the whole time they're thinking oh what if i was doing these other things yeah yeah it's weirdly a bad thing um let's continue the sidebar for a second because i'm actually interested in this question who do you want them to cast Ooh. Because I know I got mine. I got mine easy, locked and loaded. I think we've no talked questions. about this before, and but we not might, in the pod. Well, it might it might sound like we're coming up with a bit because of what we're about to say. Okay. And the guy I'm about to say, I think is like 44, so he's probably off the. Table. He's probably a little too old. Yeah, but but who you got? Someone floated Riz Ahmed to me like a year ago. And I was immediately kind of like, oh, I would no, love to see man, that. Man has no juice. Man does not have it. I would pass. kind of love to see it. Yeah. Um. No, hard pass. How old is he? He's 40. I think he's like 44. So he would be a little older. Because you also got to like remember when you're rolling the dice here that yeah. we are at bare minimum three years away from the next James Bond. Movie. I The other thing Cole is like for a long time, I was like, I think, um, um, shit, what's his name? Not Kit Harrington, the other Game of Thrones. Star. Uh, the one Richard Armitage, Richard Madden, Richard, Madden. Richard Madden. Sorry. Not Richard I, for Armitage. a Richard long Madden, yeah. time, for a long time. I was like, Richard Madden seems tailor made to be bond. And then the Citadel thing happened. And yes. I was like, okay, it's, I it is I, a very obvious yeah. guy to slot. I mean, you know, it should be acknowledged. Tradition does dictate that it should be Henry Cavill. Yes. Uh, yeah. Because listeners, if you don't know about this, tradition does dictate that Bond is the guy who came in second the last time they cast Bond. Or just had to get like, yeah. just missed it for whatever reason. Like when Brosnan, Brosnan yes. had initially gotten offered yes. it, but he couldn't get out of um, Remington Steel, right? That was the show that he was in. Yes, from Duke. Yeah. Moore, Dalton, Braz and Brosnan all came extremely close to having been the previous guy they went with. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for, for the record, it was uh, 100%. It was between Daniel Craig and Henry Cavill 20 years ago. But Obviously, Cavill was like 25. Yeah. I know yeah. it would have been wild. Obviously, there's no way it's going to be Cavill. He's way too famous. He's done too many spy movies. Mm. Um, have I ever told you my guy for Bond? I, you have, which is why I was like, yeah, okay. I think this okay, is yeah. going to sound like a bit. Uh, what listeners, yeah. look into your hearts. Uh, James Bond should be Himesh Patel from yesterday. It's not a bad. It's he's it's a little not a young. Bad pick. He's a little young, but it's going to be if a you couple just, years. If you take the dude from Tenet. And That's what it bond. is. Is yeah. is exactly is. Think about his one scene in Tenant where he rolls up in Tenant looking fucking hotter than anyone's ever looked in the world, <laughs> and just like spitballs this like insane spy shit with more confidence than anyone could possibly have, and makes fucking Pattinson look like a chump. Um, that's that's really all it comes down to is like 
He's so fucking good in Tenet. He's also, um, yeah, just really good in like the one second like cameo he has as Doctor Watson at the end of Enola Holmes too. Like <laughs> this guy can carry things. I haven't seen Station Eleven. It's probably really good. Um, Himesh Patel should be James Bond. He's about to age right into the pocket. Um, my other big Bond, though he's now way too old. Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Yeah, that's he's he's there. aged. He's There's aged no out of it, but happen, yeah. but he would have been like had they had had Craig not come back for Skyfall, and they had to cast in 2011. Yeah, yeah. Ejiofor was the perfect guy. He was to do. Because I've ever given you my my duality of Bond. That's the other thing. That's the other thing is like, if we're going back then, if we're going back to the Skyfall period, and you take the the character that Tom Hardy is playing in Inception, and you're like, you are now James Bond. There's almost no better casting than you get. Well, well, but everything that Hardy has done in the decade and a half since that movie kind of throws that entire possibility out of whack. The the problem with Hardy is, so I have I have this big take that like there are ultimately two sides to James Bond. There's the thug and there's the dandy. Yeah, and you you need to like switch Connery between, thug more dandy. Con, uh, well, Connery thug Lazenby dandy. Connery again, <laughs> yeah, more dandy. <laughs> Dalton, Dalton thug, thug Brosnan dandy, Craig yeah. thug. So yeah. you need to go to someone who's got a little bit more of the like cocktail par- party fucking getting his dick wet energy. That's why Bond. I and like Hardy's Hardy's not good for that. Elba yeah. wasn't good for it either. That's she why I like the idea in the of pocket. Riz Ahmed. Riz Ahmed. And he's partially too squirrely. Because, he's well, too squirrely. But he's 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 kind of jacked though. Like, have you seen uh yeah, Sound he's of Metal? Got this like punk rock like Fuck you! I won't do what you tell me. Energy. It's all wrong. I kind of like that idea for him, though. I, I don't. Like the, I don't. What I would like. What I would like more than anything, and then maybe we should. You can say what you have to say to make peace on Bond for now, sure. and then we'll move back. But what what I would like more than anything is part of what I what I love so much about early Craig that really goes off the hinges for me in the late, last two movies sure. that he's in, regardless of the quality of either of those films. I know it varies a great deal. Yes, is that. Early Craig takes the idea of Bond as like a cultural figure at face value. Yes. And and he's a different person and a different character than what the later Craigs are. Oh, a billion percent. A billion yeah. percent. The, but what I, mean, I like the most about it is that they're just saying like, if you apply the Bond principles to the modern like expectations of what we want from heroic masculinity no matter like how how toxic like it may be that's that's who the character is and then you get stuck in this like weird hamster wheel in the later films of like no modern bond has to be a critique on like the previous bond early connery bond which was fine which like i appreciate for what it was but i don't think we have to do that anymore and i would just like the next bond to just be like this is what we think masculinity could be in the modern age. And uh, we don't have to refer Greek. back to the previous ones. If I can just lob out one more thing to just wrap this up, you know who else yeah. would, would be a good Bond who can't do it for reasons that will become immediately apparent when I say his name, but like okay. is the kind of guy that like in my mind they should be thinking of for next Bond, uh, Ben Wishaw. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's a good... 
Yes. Just kidding. You, 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 you understand you understand what I'm saying. Yes. Did you it's see passages? You I haven't yet. He's got this yeah. real, like, fucking almost swarthy sexuality to passages. Like, he's not doing the, like, meek little flower thing he does in a lot of stuff. Like, yeah. 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 And, see and passages, if, dude. It's good. And if people, I know, I know, I know. I'll see it soon. I've, I've been. Uh, but Himesh Patel should be James Bond. Um, if if you think about Cavill, that's why Cavill doesn't work now. And part of it is because Cavill, <laughs> like, I love you, Henry Cavill, if you're listening to this, which you're not. I love you. But you looked very different in 2004 than you do nowadays. True. And now too you big. are just, you are too large. You are too, too big. He is, to he is too big. Yeah. Uh, James Bond should be small. You know? He, he, he needs to look like a businessman. Which he is, needs to look like a businessman, a yeah. 40-year-old businessman. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And that's why it should be Himesh Patel. This is why, but like, there, there's your problem. Riz Ahmed is not that guy. I think he could, I think he could look like the modern version of that. I, I don't think he's got it. He hasn't I'm ever sorry. really given the opportunity. And I think sure. part of it is like racially biased casting that has gotten him. Sure. Season. Yeah. I also like, don't particularly care for Riz Ahmed as an actor so maybe that's why i'm being so resistant to this that's fine um, i mean he's in a lot of if i ever liked him in anything i'm just word. looking i truly don't now i've never seen four lions and i know people really like four lions you don't like him in sound of metal no sound i have issues with that movie sucks. i've made Sound of metal major... fucking sucks and he's just I giving have, a fucking i have major issues face ham sandwich song. performance i mm-hmm. like him though in that movie no Okay. No, it's not my least favorite performance of that movie because I think Paul Racy is like embarrassingly bad, and <laughs> I know we've like. What about pretended... Nightcrawler? Do you like him in Nightcrawler? No, Nightcrawler stinks. <laughs> Nightcrawler fucking yeah. sucks. Nightcrawler is also a bad movie. Um, I know we've like decided to pretend that none of the COVID Oscar nominations happened, but Racy's Oscar nomination is embarrassing. It's um, it's pretty wild. Um, uh, part of why uh, I think there are many reasons why I am nicer to Coda than a lot of people are uh, but I think part of it is that I found Sound of Metal to be like so offensive on its face that, so just this like I'm telling you just actors, the performance aside I can't from take it, yeah. the issues of the movie which I agree with you I have I, major yeah. major problems with that film I don't want to sure. get into it now because we will never stop talking and we already have not been talking about the movie we should be talking I don't about. want to talk about London Boulevard <laughs> can we talk thing. about Ray Winstone at least <laughs> yeah that's my impression of it it's just I wrote this down. I mean, I was kind of talking about this earlier. I wrote this down. It is the most like straight down the middle Ray Winston performance of all time. It right? is. It is. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in ways that are good and bad. It's... Do you like Ray Winston as an actor? I know the answer to this question. I'm just asking well, it. Well, the thing is, it's like when I, I when I first saw him in The Departed, which was the first thing I saw him in, because yeah. I saw the movie when it came out, and sure, I hadn't watched any of these other things before. I kind of assumed, having grown up and watched. Goodfellas like quite a large amount and yes. other Scorsese films I had kind of assumed that he was like these other guys that populate other Scorsese movies which are just guys yes that he like gives major roles and yes allows them to like become fun characters because he just has that face and he almost has that like disaffection that a lot of those non-professional actors have 
to like mask the fact that they're non-professional actors. Um, yes. It wasn't until I watched Sexy Beast that I was like, oh, this guy's like a real actor and like a really, really good actor. Oh. <laughs> he he doesn't get enough credit for how good he is in Sexy Beast, I think, because Kingsley is so good in Sexy Beast. Yeah. That like he like sucks up all the oxygen. Uh, Winston's fucking insane. Well, Winston's doing Beast. like the real work in that. Movie, oh, yeah. Where Kingsley, it's, it's the sort just of performance like, I talk about. Have fun, all the time. man. Yeah. with kingsley they're just like go out and have fun and with winstone it's like okay you're the actual backbone of this movie and if you can't do your job which is very challenging then the whole movie won't work great film i wish yeah. we were talking about that movie i wish we that movie yeah uh he has a small role in quadrophenia and he's really good in quadrophenia just looking at performances have you seen scum i've seen a couple of so scum is the one where he is in uh like a um like a penitentiary Correct. Yes, he's in like I've, a youth. He's in like British juvie. I've seen that, and I've seen okay. that summer, which I think are like yeah. the His two tourist. major performances of him from this, aside from Quadrophenia. Um, I've I've never seen uh, Scum, um, but I know that people talk about it like it's like a major, like work in the history of British cinema. Yeah, I mean, he as a young performer is kind of strange because in a lot of these films, he is, I'm assuming you've seen um, Saturday Night and Sunday Morning starring Albert never, Finney. Never you've never seen, seen Saturday that? Sunday Morning. I, I just assume because that, that's a very, I, I feel like yeah, I was I asked to watch that a lot in academic settings. Um, but like Albert Finney is becomes the embodiment of like British working class. Oh, Carol Wright's directed movie. that? I didn't know that. I think so, yeah. Carol Wright's and, uh, French Tennis Woman, my dad's favorite movie. That's a funny movie because I think the broccoli, I think uh, the older, the the dis- now deceased broccoli produced that film, and that movie Ian Fleming has Saltzman. It. Saltzman produced it. Saltzman produced the it. other, the other, yeah. the other Bond guy. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I'm not looking at. I'm not looking at like the Wikipedia or anything. No, you're fine. So you're fine. You're fine. Stuff I am. Left me, but Saltzman produced Saturday Night and Sunday Morning. And Albert Finney gives such a commanding, has such a commanding presence within that film. Obviously, like it's a movie about it has it, there's nothing Bond-like in it. It's a movie about like working class angst and like uh, kind of like the meaningless that comes with just having like a factory job in in England and trying to make do um as as a youth. But Albert Finney has such a commanding presence within the center of that movie that uh ian fleming saw that film and was like this is the way bond should be within the world that he inhabits and that's why he gave saltzman the uh the producing credit Man, like the, can the you fucking imagine the fucking sliding door scenario where <laughs> albert finney plays james bond i it, it would have been great like that's the thing it, yeah. been, like i don't think the movies take off to the that's same degree yeah. but they're probably like really interesting 60s british crime films is the thing like, that's that's the other aspect to it um yeah but again like albert finney he in those in that movie and other movies that he got cast in at that time which is the early 60s not the late 70s yeah. like winstone there's a generational divide there but he was kind of like allowed to assume what again youthful working class angst was which is what winstone he didn't become the kind of like 
all in out signifier of that as a celebrity. I don't think he ever really has been much of a celebrity to my understanding, although he's been nominated for awards here and there, but that's kind of his placement within these films. That said, he, he does kind of look like what's Gandolfini's son's name again, his first name, Michael. He does kind of look like Michael Gandolfini or like a, even like Thank a, you philip hoffman's son cooper hoffman right like he's he's kind of like a little schlubby and like a little like hung forward at his neck so he's not the like male he's not like the platonic ideal of like a romantic lead that albert finney was but that that's 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 how he is in those early movies if if albert finney plays james bond do we think he still plays poirot i don't know Follow-up question. If Albert Finney plays James Bond, does he get the Oscar nomination for Big Fish? Like, the most oh, egregious he, didn't get an Oscar nomination. I think he probably wins. Okay, Oscar well, no, no, no. Now, here's yeah. my third question. If Albert Finney plays James Bond, this is why I'm going to say, like, hold off on the say he probably wins thing. If Albert okay. Finney plays James Bond, does he win for Aaron Brockovich? Which is three oh, years no, before. Sure. That's the only reason I'm like he doesn't necessarily. I think win. he gets nominated for Brockovich and doesn't. Which he does win. in real life. And everybody, that. yeah, yeah, and everybody is so much more offended by him not winning that by the okay. time Big Fish comes around, then he ends up winning. Him, him not getting the nomination, let alone not winning, which he, to be clear, <laughs> should have been a walk. It's no one else is close. Him not even getting yeah. nominated for Big Fish is like the most embarrassing Oscar snub of the 21st century. It's you know insane. what's the best? That performance is fucking off the chain. You know what one of the best Albert Finney castings is? Him and Big Fish. He is just the voice of Catherine Zeta Jones's dad in Ocean's Twelve. Yes, I don't think you see. No, he's I on screen. He's on screen. He's on screen. Oh, he is. Okay, I was gonna say yeah. in my memory of that movie, you do not see him. You do not see his face. So, but you hear I, the voice, and you're like, "That is." I Albert can Finney. I can attest to this, um, because I just rewatched it. He yeah. shows up and there's a scene like halfway through the movie that's very brief where that character shows up and like he says like two lines and then they're doing like very conspicuous like like compositions to like not even hint at showing his face. And then the big like climax of the movie is like they take Catherine Zeta-Jones to like a secluded place and he's standing in the doorway and like, like the last shot of the movie might even be a shot of his face. Okay. I mean, um, that's so cool. He, yeah. he has such a commanding voice, like the way, like a, um, yeah, like a, a James Earl Jones ish voice. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. not just that he's playing her dad is he's playing the world's greatest thief, which is so cool. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. But back to Winston, it should be noted that, um, we chose, and I'm increasingly regretting that we did this. Uh, we chose not to talk about the war zone. That was the other thing I uh, wanted, I wanted to bring yeah. up, and it was like because at the time when we movie. were starting the podcast, we were like the the best movie star or whatever of the 2000s, and I think that is like a concept that we are closing, <laughs> that we are quickly losing grasp of as we think ahead I, to like future things that we'll do. I just personally am increasingly like think it was a little silly for us to literally cut out one movie. Yeah. Um, whatever. Maybe we'll go back and talk about it. I don't necessarily want to talk about it because I know what it's about. Um, and it sounds very unpleasant. It does. Uh, but, you know, um, Tim Roth directed it. So that's pretty yeah. cool. Tilda Swinton is in it. We haven't talked about her. 
Have you ever seen, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains? No, haven't seen it. You've never seen fucking ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains. No. That's probably my favorite way Ray Winston performance. Oh, really? Like, okay. I don't know if you wanted to do a Mount Rushmore. I don't know that I do because there's just so much I haven't seen. Um, yeah, he's a hard one, but maybe, yeah. you know, maybe if but, we, it's, there, look, there's, we will most likely get back to him again. Yes. Especially of because of kind of the like Scorsese casting him in The Departed did a lot for him in older age, yes. which probably almost definitely comes off the back of Sexy Beast. Yes. I'm like, you you wouldn't have to convince me that Scorsese saw Sexy Beast and was like, okay, I have to have this guy in my movies, which he's been in two. He's, he was in Hugo also, I believe. Um, Can I give you the spiel on Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, though? Yeah, yeah. Give me the uh, one of the movies that is like most tragically not available on Blu-ray and like doesn't isn't streaming anywhere. It's just like it is a hard movie to see. Ladies and gentlemen, Fabulous Stains was directed by Lou Adler. Um, I don't know if you know who Lou Adler uh, was, um, but he is. He might not be dead. Let me see. Oh, he's still alive. Lou Adler was a fucking like record producer and manager mostly a manager i think more than a producer um no he produced too um most known for like being the guy who like developed like the mamas and the papas and like turned carol king into a stand-up act and like helped put together the rocky horror picture show and like convinced cheech and chong to be like recording artists like he's a big like record industry guy and he might have been an actual producer on the record too. It looks like he fucking won some Grammys for producing Tapestry. So I guess he is, but I think of him more as like a mover and a shaker in the music industry, but it's directed by him written by Nancy Dowd, who wrote Slapshot and coming home nice. um, and ordinary people. Yeah. Um, Diane Lane in like one of her first movies plays like a teenage girl who goes like early eighties viral <laughs> for giving an interview where she talks about like how dead end her town has been since like the fucking factory moved away and mentions that she has a band in this. So Ray Winston plays this like record producer who convinces her to open for functionally the sex pistols who are played by the real members of the sex pistols who aren't nightmares to deal with. And these like 13 year old girls who cannot play instruments go on tour with these punk rockers and through these like feminist screeds over one note bass riffs like become like a national sensation and find themselves getting like commodified by the record industry and these like uh... earnest rants again the patriarchy start to become this like marketing hook that could be used to sell them but he plays this just like fucking just scumbag manager Who's like grooming them basically not, not grooming them sexually, but like grooming them to be stars. Um, great performance. That movie rules. Someone's got to fucking put that movie out on disc. Yeah. Um, it's a, it sounds like something I, I want to see right now. Yeah. The, the, the band is Steve Jones and Paul cook from the sex pistols uh, who are like the actual guys in the sex pistols who can play their instruments. Wow. Um, and then Paul Simonon, uh, who's the basis for the clash. Um. Like functionally all playing themselves. Uh yeah, great movie. I just wanted to shout out that movie because I love that movie. Um I mean he had he had like a very 
I, I don't know how you want to describe it. Like he, he was, he, he, there was no period of his life where he wasn't working. He did a lot of television. He did a lot of British television as most British actors do because of their state funded television. They, they, there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, but again, like I said, like, I, I think the kind of narrative of his career is essentially like he was kind of this doughy-ish blue collar kind of like tough looking figure that could mm-hmm. assume those roles of like troubled youth who end up in jail or in gangs, but also kind of a, a lo- other otherwise like along the Philip Seymour Hoffman route of could could slip into like schlubbiness easily no offense to Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. who I love but he he did kind of he did kind of corner that market better than any other actor um in his time mm. uh and then he's in Sexy Beast which is just unbelievable and, and then which all is a American... big comeback like yeah he also stops working for a while and then I don't know if he ever stops working. I think he's just mostly maybe he's only doing. I'm looking at his IMDb, yeah. and it really does feel like there's a bunch of. Also, I misremembered. He plays the lead singer, not the manager, in Okay, fabulous days. But he's he's just playing this like gross creep who's like sees these girls as a meal ticket. Um, I don't Winston, think he ever stops working. I think he just does a lot of television. That that might be what it is. But other non film acting work, and yeah. then. The second he he has this like resurgence at the very late nineties, turn of the century, all these American directors start reaching yeah. out to him. You know, again, it he's is he's, he's, he, it's that he's just doing TV. I'm just seeing like movie wise all the big stuff in like the late seventies, early eighties when he's a young man, and then like you said, this comeback in the late nineties where he starts working a lot into sexy beasts. He's in King Arthur. I never saw King Arthur. I saw it a long time ago. Uh, it doesn't stick with you. Although maybe Ripley's I should have game. rewatched it since he and Kira are both in it. <laughs> yeah, I should watch that movie. Who directed that movie? Is it Fuqua? I think it's Fuqua. fucking. And I think the whole idea of that movie <sighs> is that uh, they're not um, like medieval nobility. It's they're like Roman centurions who That's are like establishing. Stupid. I think the whole idea is like they are establishing the Roman yeah. outpost in England. Yeah, it's set in the yeah. 5th century. Yeah. Uh, that is uh, stupid, and I don't <laughs> like it. And Antoine Fuqua is not a very good director. I wish he was a good director. It'd be so cool if he was a good director. <laughs> right? Like, it just... If you think about the movies Antoine Fuqua makes, don't you, like, want him to be, like, a guy you can ride for? Uh, what's the... So obviously you have like how uh, F. Gary Gray is you like have a good day. director. Obviously you have tra- oh yeah like F. Gary right. Gray. Obviously you have Training Day, and then you have like Shooter. <laughs> I'm trying to go. I'm going off memory here. Shooter. Yep. <laughs> you have Shooter, which I remember loving as a little kid. Not sure if I would feel that way about it now. Uh, Bob Lee Swagger, right? That's Mark Wahlberg's name is Shooter. Bob I've never Swagger. fucking seen Dude, Shooter, I think but you're I'm, right. I'm, but you're right. I just looked it up. 100% positive that his name is Bob Lee Swagger, and it's fucking crazy. Then you have Brooklyn's Finest, which I also remember being kind of like mesmerized by in, in my young Never years. seen it. Did he, has he done all three equalizers? All three equalizers. I have yet to see the three equalizer. I'm going to go see it. I've only seen the first one. The first I think there, he did Olympus Has Fallen, right? He did Olympus Has Fallen, which stinks. The Equalizer movies are not as good as they should be. I am sorry. Um, Southpaw is really good. Southpaw and Training Day are like the two really good movies he's done. Southpaw, Southpaw like, I rocks. think, 
Southpaw, I think the deal with Southpaw is Southpaw is almost not was not taken as seriously as it probably should have been because yeah. Fuqua had to. He also did yes. the, the Magnificent Seven. Which right? is fine. Like, a lot of these are, like, whatever. Um, the Replacement Killer stinks, which sucks, because it's the first big Hollywood Chow Yun Fat movie, and, like... A Replacement Killer? That's Antoine Fuqua's first movie. Well, I've I've never even heard of this movie. Oh, it's Chow, it's, it's Chow Yun Fat's first Hollywood movie. Oh, wow. It's, like, a fucking bad... It's... Man, you know how they make took, a good season of above yeah, the title. You know how they fucking took Jackie Chan to the states, and like whatever you think about the American Jackie movies, they are ultimately bad versions of proper yeah. Jackie movies. So imagine, it's like that imagine Yun that for Chow Yun Fat. Okay, yeah, imagine what like the that, shitty then. Hollywood version of Hard Boiled is, and that's the replacement killers. Okay, yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. I want to give that a try. You want to fucking do a Chow Yun Fat podcast though, because we are not the people who should be doing a Chow Yun Fat podcast. <laughs> but I'll fucking do a Chow Yun Fat podcast with you, you coward. Do you know how many movies he's been in? Are you sure you want to do this? Uh, is it more than Colin? It's got to be right. Because in China, don't they just make like okay? They'll make like seven. Take a years. guess. How yeah. many? How many? How many IMDb credits do you think Chai Yun Fat's done? Seventy-five. You sure you want that to be the guess? <laughs> Is it more? Is it more than that? Is it eighty-eight? Keep going. Is it a hundred and two? Keep going. Oh my God! How many? How many? It's one hundred and eighteen. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Okay, no, that's yeah, everything, and that it. includes like video games and cameos and like whatever. I don't but know, man. Still. We'll have to think on that. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'd fucking do it. Would we do a stranglehold episode? Ooh. I, I don't know if you ever played John Woo's stranglehold. The John, I, I did. The John Woo when, Max yeah. Payne knockoff. That is jump okay. around in slow motion. You do jump around in slow motion. A is lot. it just? Is it? Is it? Um. So Chow Young Fat in that game is that yes. Nicholas Winding Refn in Death Stranding, who's not actually giving the performance. It's just the character model is a scan oh. of Nicholas Winding Refn, or is Chow Young Fat actually doing the voice? You think? I think he's doing. Let game. me let me look that up. Um, what's the name of that game again? I just blanked up. Did you know that by the Stringle. way about Nicholas Winding Refn in Death Stranding? Who does Nicholas Winding Refn play in Death Stranding? I thought it was just like he's, one per- person who he says like one line. I've never no, played Death he's Stranding. like a character in the game. Oh, but I guess Nicholas Winding Refn, I guess, is friends with Hideo Kojima. Oh, he's I, why, oh, 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 I yeah. knew that fucking and, shit. And Hideo Kojima was like, can I? Can you be in the game? And Nicholas Winding Refn was like, I don't want to like act or anything. And Hideo oh, Kojima was like, can I scan you as the character model? And then another so, actor will yeah. come and perform you in I, the game. I knew he was in it, but I thought he was in it to the extent that like Jordan Voight Roberts is in it and that it was like a cameo, basically. Um, I'm trying to figure out the answer to this question about John Woo's stranglehold. We have 30 minutes left before I have to stop this. And just to say, and just to say real quick for the upcoming neon. Re- oh no, it's already, it's already out for the neon release of old boy. That's coming out. There is yeah. a, there's a Q and a between, uh, Park Chan Wook and Nicholas Winning Refn and Nicholas Winning Refn is on one during this Q and A. It is so funny. At one Have point, at one point, he just tells <laughs> Park Chan Wook, he's like, "You're a really good looking man. Why did you decide to become a film director and not do something with your looks instead?" 
Um, Chao Wook obviously has no idea how to answer the question. Chow Yun Fat did both the mocap and the 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 dubbing for. I think we'd Stranglehold. have to do it as long as we um, could like watch a playthrough yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. I I'll just play it again. I own it. Um, I I don't have you seen? Nor do I have like a PlayStation Two. It's so. like a dollar on GOG, dude. Um, I have you seen the interview between Nicholas Winning Ref and, and William Friedkin? Yeah, where, when he where, says that only God forgives is a masterpiece, and, and William Friedkin, Friedkin won't like, fucking stop making fun of him for that. He's like, do we have an EMT here? Do we have a doctor? Because this man's, this man's having, having like having mental problems. Yeah. Um, God bless Winston, William Friedkin. To, to bring it back yeah. to where we started a half hour ago, um, you know the movie isn't good when we just don't when we want to fucking talk about death stranding <laughs> instead um yeah. i'm so interested in just how he is like scanning every famous person he meets by the way i don't know if you follow him on twitter um oh no yeah he yeah but like every week right he's now. like it's like i met margaret qualley and scanned her and i'm like i've never played Early any one of his games or, or uh, never played, del toro i've never played a single one of his games Let's bring it on home. Winston cool. is fine in this movie. The, it's it's just a very obvious Winston casting, mm-hmm. and I think the it's character clear, is kind of boring. I think it's clear that Moynihan liked him while they were making the Departed. Yeah. It was probably like you'll and be my. There's my this weird this thing where he's a semi closeted gay man who seems to less be gay so much that he like. It's implied that he just loves raping men. Yeah, which strange. is just like a level because of he. Un- because he was sexually molested. abused by his uncle yeah. or something. It is, it is a level of unpleasantness that this movie does not actually want to, like, engage with. And so whenever it, like, pops up, you're like, Jesus, like, if you're well, going to be that unpleasant, like, be that unpleasant, you know? This movie brings up rape in, I think, three different, Call it, okay, four different scenarios. Thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. You know how you know that fucking... Mitch, played by Colin Farrell, is like a good, upstanding guy who's gonna like keep his head above water and not return to a life of crime. Because by the time the eight minute mark has passed in this movie, and that includes the somewhat lengthy opening credits, he has saved two women from being raped. One of whom is his sister, I believe. Yeah, it's not it's not good enough that he's like, it'd be fine if it was like his introduction. Two different women before the eight minute mark has passed you're like i get it movie i knew i knew i was gonna have trouble with this movie when he stops the the druggy guy from raping it from attempting to rape his sister and this guy looks like he crawled out of like a dumpster and he punches him like once maybe and everybody like billy and all his other gangster friends are kind of like oh you shouldn't have done that that's like I don't remember what he calls the guy either. He's like, that dude over there is like purple Steve's nephew or something like that. And I knew I was going to have trouble with this movie because I was just like, no successful gang drama considers them to act. The The most compelling stuff in any gang drama is when they're trying to act like on the surface, they're like, this is a family and we look out yes. for each other and we yes. have morals. And then as you start peeling back the layers, you realize there is nothing that will stop these men from doing horrible things to each other to get their listeners. Their listeners, yeah. I, I should clarify something just to, just to make something very clear. Connor and I, 
we will eat up any fucking crime movie swill that you feed us, right? Yeah. We're so in the bag for this fucking bullshit, right? There's no like Connor, like, other way to put it. You're not yeah. like no, 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 I'm not. We're we're fucking we're fucking pigs at the trough when it comes to like a movie about gangsters. So when we spent this hard on this movie. If you had any idea why when we were talking about Miami Vice, we just eat up lines of them being like, time is, uh, what do they say in in, in like all I the mean, Michael Mann movies? It's like. The, the, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, are yeah. you referring to, it's, he doesn't say it in Miami Vice. Um, no, you're Gong Lee to, says it. Gong Lee says it in Miami Vice as well. Oh, you're talking about something else. Yeah. I thought you were referring to, um, there's no time so hard that I can't do it, which no, is a line. Awesome. Well, <laughs> But to clarify, that is a line in. The Jericho Mile Heat and Black Hat. Yeah. That is that is a set in three different you're thinking of time is luck. Time is luck. I no, why couldn't yes. I why couldn't I put my finger on it? But I just for, we just eat up lines like that. Because for, for me specifically, I love the like florid romantic melodrama stuff, and yeah. I love the like fucking just grimy process stuff. Like which is why Miami Vice, a movie that like maximalizes both those aspects, is the best movie ever made. Um, I just want Ferrari. It's to come also out. kind of why The Departed is like the best movie ever. Made. I mean, I, I was yeah. watching Goodfellas the other night and texting Connor constantly and just being yeah. like, "You forget how Goodfellas good Goodfellas is." Like, I truly do think, you know, thirty years later with so many movies knocking it off, you forget. just forget how fucking good Goodfellas is. I'm gonna watch uh I'm gonna watch Casino soon, so you might want to turn your phone off when that happens. <laughs> Cole Cole did not go to our graduation from graduate school. I did not. And I was sitting next to our friend Genevieve, and it was revealed to us that we were in the same room, fairly large room. You may have heard of it. It's called Radio City Music Hall. So it's yes. a pretty big room. <laughs> but it was revealed to us that we were in the same room as Martin Scorsese, and I began to cry. Yes, I began in, to weep because of it. In my defense, way to fucking like drop. <laughs> Congratulations, way to fucking like do the NYU thing and drop that you went to NYU. You can uh, it out. <laughs> suddenly, it out. Um, I'm no better. I also went to NYU. Yeah, I'm like, what the fuck are you calling me yeah, out for? I know. Um, people, Connor, you know the people who love to NYU go to went to NYU love to tell you that they went to NYU. It is true. Yeah. And I'm literally doing it right now. So I'm yeah. no fucking like to stand there. Um, in my defense, Connor, it's a little pathetic to go to your grad school graduation. Like you're a fucking grown man. That is just also put, true. Just fucking putting that but shit I out there. But I saw Taylor like, Swift and I saw Martin Scorsese. Yeah. So. I would have gone if they had advertised in advance that Sandler was the commencement speaker. Okay? Like... <laughs> I was actually annoyed that I didn't get to see because I would, would I'm interested in what his speech was. Whatever. Whatever. I think you can watch it. I think it's on. I probably can. London yeah. Boulevard is bad. Boulevard. Um, a lot of like casual rape in this movie. Again, it, to a degree that I don't think the movie has a sense to, of. We haven't talked about it. it. It's just shock whole, value. We haven't talked about it, but the whole reason it's revealed that Charlotte Kira Knightley's reclusive a-list actress is kind of hiding from society is because it's revealed that she was on a job and she had been raped by somebody while she was working on that job yeah and i think like the overabundance of this talk about rape without actually kind of 
dealing with the realities of it, dealing with kind of the intric the the complexities of each individual scenario where it may happen in real life. It really saps like the believability of the characters of like the the story as a whole. It's one of those things that's like it's such a weighty topic. Yes. And it's such a topic that does nothing but deserve like its full due of context and discourse yeah. about that when you don't give it that in the movie it comes across as like extremely dare i say offensively cheap yeah and it it distracts from the piece as a whole and it's 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 more so that like if we are talking about the the four uses of rape in this movie which is the double header to kind of establish that colin is a good guy right yeah. annoying whatever the, the the kind of its use as like a threat by Winston to establish that Winston is the absolute opposite, right? So like first of all, the, the those three rapes only exist in this metric to like set up this tête-à-tête between these two men, right? So that's mm-hmm. very callous. And then you've got this like nightly is like still kind of PTSD riddled from her own sexual assault, which is to be clear. Something that is told to Farrell by David Thewlis. Yeah. Right? Like it is something that's not acknowledged by Charlotte. Something that exists both as this, like, this sort of negotiating tactic between these two men who are both very fond of and protective of and this woman as a way to, like, establish the bond between them and as this like implicit like their property has been damaged right like that's kind of the attitude the movie is taking towards it so again i come back to the scene where where kira knightley gives the speech about how the only role she's offered her as like to uh, to like add color to the male characters like yeah exactly it's it's not even that the movie goes through like the cornball scene where she quote-unquote, confesses that she's been assaulted so that Colin gets to get mad on her behalf, right? She doesn't even get to be in the scene when it happens. You can tell me that Kira Knightley was not aware this was an aspect of her character. <laughs> What's important about her rape is not actually that she was raped. It is that David Thewlis tries to kill the guy who doesn't. Yeah. and that It's supposed is... to reveal that Thewlis can be trusted to, like, yeah. embark on these... He criminal activities with he is telling this to feral almost like implicitly as a threat to to fair both both somewhat as a threat to feral to like treat kira knightley well and then also and especially as their like relationship involves later as this like show of brotherhood like you said to feral that like in understanding that these are both men who would kill for this woman but i think i think he's not even saying it at that moment as like a threat to 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 Mitch, I think it's more of like, yeah, the film feels like it has to explain why she's so cut off, yes. as if the like constant paparazzi isn't enough. I feel like that was enough. So mm-hmm. when when they introduce this like this past rape experience to it, it it, I'm like, couldn't it just be enough for her to get hounded by the the press every single time she opens her front door? Because that's exhausting enough just to see. Yeah, yeah. No, she literally has to be damaged property for these guys. Like, I'm sorry to be callous, but that is what the movie is doing. 
Can um, I um can I relate? I know you have very limited time. So I just sorry rolling a little bit. No, yeah, can Connor, I just Connor, I can't believe you're doing this after you were 45 minutes late to the recording. <laughs> Sure, man. Sure. <laughs> if you want to throw that out. There. You and oh. not me was the one who was 45 minutes late. I just want to I just want to relate this to like, if we're going to look at Moynihan and like what his works yeah. say about his view of the world and kind of just generally yeah, dude, how, how this. We should be saying William Moynihan wrote The Departed in air quotes, right? Like. I'm not crazy yeah, here. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think there's enough in it that, like, I when I watch that movie, I'm like, okay, that's Moynihan, and then this is Scorsese, and then this is Jack Nicholson, just, like, ad-libbing weird stuff for no reason at all. Like, when I think of, like, the constant... The, the way The Departed treats Sigmund Freud is the way that this film treats rape. So, like, I, <laughs> I think about it sometimes in that aspect of, like, he's obsessed with these things sometimes, and he just can't, like, stop talking about them in the movies for whatever reason. But like, I was thinking about the departed and I was like, you have Jack Nicholson who can do something that 99.999% of like any other actor can't do, which is pull off crazy in the way that he has always been capable of doing. And he does it in, in that movie and it's genuinely scary. But then I was also thinking about uh, not Kingsley, but um Who's the other mob boss in Sexy Beast? Why can't uh, I remember their like name right now? It's Ian McShane. It's Ian McShane, McShane plays the other. Yeah. We love Ian McShane. Ian McShane plays the other mob boss in Sexy Beast, which is a, very much in the vein of what Winstone is doing in this movie. It's kind of like a sexually deranged, but very buttoned up mob boss. Somebody who can go out to dinner and looks like they fit in with high society, even yes. though they come from like the very scum of the bottom level and are just like absolutely psychotic and unpredictable. But what makes McShane so scary in a movie like that is he doesn't talk very often. His his words are few and far between. Sure. So if you're taking that archetype, but you're matching it with the constant talking and the the constant monologuing that Nicholson does in the departed and you like meet them in the middle somewhere, which is what Winstone is asked to do in this movie. Then you have a guy that's just like not very scary at all in any way whatsoever. And then you don't have any tension because you, you understand that Collins Mitch character isn't scared of this guy. And the way he kind of solves his issue concerning this, he does it just by killing everybody. Yeah, Which you kind of clear, he's know also, that he's going to do pretty early on in the movie. He's never scared of this guy. He's only ever yeah. annoyed by this guy. Like, he, he straight Which up I says... Which I find like, boring. I don't like exactly. it. I think it's like a very boring way to go about this. Halfway halfway through yeah. the movie, not even halfway, like two-thirds of the way through the movie when, like, it becomes clear that, like, these two men are going to butt heads. He He's at dinner with Winston, and he says, like, you don't understand I'm not a gangster and you should be glad because if I were a gangster, I would have killed you already. Mm. And it's like, it's a good scene. And I think Colin like sells, I mean, throughout, I think Colin sells the fact that this movie has this, like this guy has the simmering violence beneath him that he can like let loose at any point. I think he sells that believably. And I think Colin sells this like sudden intense threat easily. The problem is it isn't a bluff. It's a very honest thing he's saying to him. Yeah. And you're right. It's like you said, 
it is then boring because there is no tension because Colin is never tense as a, as a man. Mitch, Mitch is never actually concerned about this guy. It's not like one of the most compelling things about Departed is that DiCaprio's character is like vomiting in garbage cans yes! because he's so anxious. He's begging his psychiatrist for Valium because he just like can't make it through the day. He's turning into a violent criminal monster because that's the only way he feels that he can survive within the world that he's been thrust into because of how psychotic everybody else is around him. And you don't get that at all here. I, I hate to do it for this scintillating conversation, uh, but we should probably wrap up. Um, Just to clarify, just some stuff in this movie, uh, this movie opens in uh, late 2010 in the United Kingdom and then opens about a year later in the United States put on an IFC, an early experiment in uh, releasing a movie on VOD before the theatrical release. Um, and as, you know, time has shown, that never worked out. Uh, this movie kind of just dies a quick death in the States. It's funny reading the has reviews. has no cultural tale. It's really funny reading the reviews because the reviewers are like, it's just obscenely confused by how this movie is being released at the time. Yeah. Especially because from what from what I can tell... The script had been published before Moynihan. Oh, that's found fucking insane! And I don't necessarily know if it was on the blacklist. I don't believe it would have been because Moynihan was already a well-known screenwriter by this point in time. Can but adaptations be on the blacklist? I don't know. I, I, I by don't, definition, don't adaptations really have to be already set up projects? Well, I don't know if I don't. I don't know how the blacklist works. Like I, I, I know it exists. I don't know the rules about it i've never really been oh it's completely a marketing thing i know it is yeah yeah um but that's why i've never like looked into it but from what i understand because the indiewire review is essentially like them explaining why they put it on their list of best unmade screenplays in 2009 interesting and they're basically like guys we're not stupid the screenplay is a lot better than the end result of the movie ended up being and they cut all this stuff out oh interesting. and that's why the movie's not as good and it's just interesting to look at his career as a screenwriter and filmmaker um, because he he wrote Kingdom of Heaven, which was like his big introduction to Hollywood, which gets butchered, <laughs> like b both because it's a really Scott project and every really Scott project gets butchered because he it, like the initial version of it and the director's cut of it is like a three hour and 45 minute magnum ep like philosophical epic about the crusades um, but seen. also just like the the release of it was strange when it really should have been like a late in the year awards release but instead they tried to re refashion it as a summertime blockbuster even though like i said it's like a philosophical film about the crusades um so that's that's a knock against them doesn't work out then he has departed which he wins the academy award for for best um best adapted screenplay and again like i think a lot of that you can't take the credit away from scorsese as well who always collaborates on every screenplay yeah. he works on um then he wrote body of lies another really scott film which probably one we'll talk about one day which i don't think people generally like i don't think anybody like hates it but it's not a movie that people are like enamored by and want to return to and then this in edge of darkness the mel gibson is that a, like a revenge movie i actually don't know yes. i've never seen it darkness yeah a movie they come out in the same year. i think that kind of kills probably good 
uh, Edge of Darkness. I've never well, seen 2010 it. is what I'm saying. Yeah. 2010 kind of kills the idea of taking William Moynihan yeah. seriously yes. as like oh, a billion percent, a, a critical darling. Yeah, I've always been interested in Edge of Darkness though, because I think I think directors remaking their own stuff is an interesting thing to think about. It is. And yeah, I don't know if Definitely. you know this, but Edge of Darkness, which is directed, it's just by, wild that he wrote it. Yeah, it is. Well, but he was in the yeah, like He there. has a, a screenwriting but, credit. Yeah. Edge of Darkness, directed by the fucking god Martin Campbell. Can we agree on that, Connor? The fucking best. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> it is a it is a remake of a BBC miniseries that he had done. That is like the thing that made him as a director. Um, Damn. So I just think that's interesting that he repurposed it after Edge of Darkness and London Boulevard, and what you're saying about this being like the end of his career. It, it's not much. It's that he writes The Gambler, mm-hmm. a movie that does Which not Which is exist. also a remake. Yes. Um, I think he's attached to a bunch of stuff that like probably behind the scenes doesn't come through. That's um, what it sounds like in interviews yeah. with him from around the time then, that uh, London yeah. Boulevard had come out. He, he writes and directs Mojave, which, as I have said before, uh, is bad. Uh, <laughs> a movie that no one has seen. Uh, and then, of course, he has his big comeback in 2021. We all remember he writes the Tendabot. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen oh, it. It fucking stinks. Yeah. It's bad. Is it mostly on him or is it mostly on Clooney? That's my question. He, my answer to that question is yes. Because <laughs> uh, Clooney's a bad actor, um, a bad director. No, sorry. Let me clarify. George Clooney's a great actor. George Clooney's a bad director, right? We all know this yeah. in our hearts. We can like have affection for some of his movies. Um, no, that movie just stinks. It's so generic. Affleck is like fine in it, I guess. I am deeply glad because I don't know if you remember this. He came super close to an Oscar nomination. Um, I am deeply glad that his his first acting nomination was not for that movie. He, I mean, we've talked about him. The thing with him that's so funny is like he he has he gets cast in these things that seem like knock out of the park, like can't go wrong scenarios, and then they just like, never seem they never seem to live up to what <laughs> what was expected of it. But then you have Argo, which <laughs> wins like every award it can, and uh, is and like I think when that movie was announced, it was like this isn't gonna be good, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I said this on Daredevil, but I will repeat this as many times as I can. Yeah. Uh, no, that Ben Affleck has never lost an Oscar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just that he's never, he's been nominated twice and he's won both times. It's just that he's never been nominated as a director or an actor. Yeah. Uh, it's going to happen one of these days. Um, and then, yeah, Moynihan wrote Marlowe which we talked about in a recent episode, uh, which is insane and not good. Um, it's funny we didn't talk about it on the Neil Jordan episode. We mentioned it, didn't we? We talked about it when we yeah. were talking about Ask the Dust and how was, like right. the production. Yes, because I had just seen you. it. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, that's and you're right. This movie does kind of kill his career. And you know what? Good riddance, William Monaghan. You made a bad movie. <laughs> uh, it looks good. It looks nice. It looks fine. Do you want to guess Vulture's best British crime films? I have him listed in front of me. God, so I have like yeah. five minutes. Um, 
of all time yeah vulture i'll i'll tell you yeah vulture it start, was a better list hints. than the indie wire list was like essential Just, british crime films and they start were giving like, me start giving me hints okay we talked about one of them like scum sexy beast lock stock and two well, okay. barrels okay snatch <laughs> layer cake Okay, <laughs> you gotta let me cover. What you <laughs> Those just are said. the ones we okay. talked about. <laughs> layer cake, layer cake is on the list. Uh, Sexy movie. beast is on the list. Good. And lock stock and two smoking barrels is on the list. Um, okay, so I need what to guess I had two been, other movies. What I had been no 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 no. This is yeah. I think this is fifteen. So you have oh, twelve. God. I what I had been referencing was a movie that we had covered on this podcast not this individual episode of on podcast. this podcast yeah of course above the title favorite covered movie, ordinary decent criminal <laughs> covered one of these no movies. it's got to be in bruges right yeah it's in bruges yeah. yeah then you have um uh two that are i think three actually that are not by british actors i mean british directors which are fun. actually oh, four. God. There are four here. There are four here by non-British actors, and maybe a fifth. When are they from? One is from 1950. One is from 1971. Is it Ealing? No. Oh God! What came out in 1950 in England? Has have we talked about this director before? I've never seen a movie no. in black and white. I want to see. I want to say, oh no, we definitely talked about one of these directors' films when we did a very similar list for New York cop movies for Lumet. Glory. Lumet had no not started earlier. Movies yet. Earlier, that's what I'm saying because Lumet yeah. had not started making movies. Yet. I know you've seen this movie. I know for a fact you've seen this movie. You know, not for a not fact not the I've one on this list, movie. not the one on this list, but the one that we had talked about on the oh, New York. Oh, that doesn't help me. <laughs> it's what a director. It? It's a director that kind of got exiled from American film. And started making movies, started making crime movies. Dasset. In yes. In 1950. Yes. I don't know about any English movie that Jules Dasset made. The Night I'm in sorry. the City. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> oh, that movie's so good, too. I forgot it's British. That movie rules. Yeah. I think I both forgot that that movie is set in England and I forgot that um, Jules Dasset made it. Um, that movie's great. Um, I don't have time to say what I'm about to say, but I'm gonna say what I'm about to say. Um, okay. Richard Widmark, star of Night in the City. I don't know if you know this, but Richard Widmark does Night in the City, Elia Kazan's Panic in the Streets, and Joe Mankiewicz's No Way Out, all in the same Whoa. year. Which are Whoa. like three of the best performances in the history of crime cinema. And I he never does realized them those back were all the to same back year. to back. That's crazy. Yeah, that's like Richard Rinmark's 1950, maybe the best year any actor has ever had, ever. This is the thing um, when you're talking about the studio system, and it's like the studio system had its fucking issues, but yeah. kind of if you put Colin Farrell in the studio system, he would have been better. One, oh my God, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. You get one amazing movie every year at least, and you might get yeah. three or four amazing performances it's like, every single year. It's like, yeah. would anyone necessarily say that Richard Widmark is like their favorite actor? I don't think so. If you were like yeah. thinking of like great actors of the era, would you necessarily have thought of Richard Widmark? 
it's not an insult to him, but he's like, he's Richard Widmark. He's a working day actor. But then I tell you that he did those three movies right in the row. And you're like, fuck. And that's, even though No Way Out, I mean, Night in the City is not a studio film. You're like, well, fuck. That's, that's the fucking system for you right there. Yeah. All right, let's rush through. Just rattle through off the titles. because There's I, a I Kubrick. There's a Kubrick. Uh, London. So is it Clockwork? It's Clockwork Orange. Boring. There is a, a Neil Jordan film from the 80s. So not uh, not the Mona one Lisa. that I think. Mona Lisa. Yes, Mona Lisa. Good movie. Um, good movie. Yeah, yeah, you got good, the Guy Ritchie. You got the yeah. Jonathan Glazer. You got have the you Martin seen McDonough. Mona Lisa? You'd like Mona Lisa. I have seen Mona Lisa. Yeah. Yeah. It's Jordan. He's like a noir. He's a noir guy. Like he does noir. Uh, Well, maybe not Marlowe. Hoskins. (laughs) Hoskins almost won the Oscar that year. There's another Hoskins on the list. Very obvious. Who framed Roger? No. um, No. Long Good Friday. Yes. I would guess. Yeah. Uh, Long Good Friday. Now that's a fucking picture. Am I right? Best Hoskins. Unbelievable. So good. So great in that movie. It's not his best performance, but he's fucking incredible. It's like if you ever imagine British Tony Soprano, that's yeah. what Hoskins is in the yeah. movie. Great. Um, we have a Soderbergh. Not. From 99. No, that's not a British movie. I know. It takes bullshit. place in America. It, yeah. it famously takes place in Los Angeles. It's like the most <laughs> LA movie ever made. That's bullshit. It's the Limey. Yeah. It's a great movie that I love. It's on the, I didn't make the list. It's on well, the fuck list. fuck you, Connor. Yeah. We have a Cronenberg. British crime. Cronenberg. British, British, English? but different, different. Oh right, this movie is set. This movie yeah. set in England. I forgot. Uh, Eastern Promises. Yes, yeah. You know, um, who I just found out is an Eastern Promises. Uh, um, I know who you're gonna say. Yeah, Tatiana uh, I've known Maslani. this for a while. Yeah, yeah Tatiana yeah. Maslany uh, is the voice of the dead girl in like the the when when Naomi Watts is reading the diary. I think you. I think that she you don't is. There's an image of her. You no, don't see you don't? her. Okay. No. Never mind then. We have uh what, what have we not said yet? We have uh, uh Stephen Frears recently on Criterion Channel. Frears, the hit? Yes, the hit. A, a bad Frears. I'm sorry, not a good movie. <laughs> not a movie we've been that taken with. Not his best, I would agree. Yeah. Uh Michael Crick. What? Or is it Critch Crichton? The uh, Jurassic Park guy. Crichton. He directed a movie. It's Crichton. Crichton. He directed he directed quite a few movies, actually. Yeah. Um, but I can't. Well, think I'm of saying one he said. directed one that's on this. List, yes, which you um, might no, not. He just of. secretly directed like several movies. Um, I don't know of a British crime film he directed though. So what is the it? The first Great Train Robbery. Sure. <laughs> we have a sure. Mike a Mike Hodges film. I think it spawned like multiple sequels, and it Hodges. stars Michael Caine. So Mike Caine did Hodges direct Get Carter? Yeah, it's a good movie. It's a fun yeah. time pictures another one you'd like uh and uh one from 60 1960 i think you've mentioned this movie before a british crime movie is this an ealing no is this a dearden it is a dearden so it's league of gentlemen league of gentlemen a movie i've never seen but i really like basil dearden uh so that's that's vulture's list which i would say is not a great list and just imagine the list being a hundred times more confusing, and that's the IndieWire list. Yeah, well, we don't like IndieWire on this podcast. 
sorry. <laughs> it, the IndieWire list was was bad to the point where I was like, I can't do this as a game because nobody yeah. in their right mind would ever guess any of these movies. And I'm sorry for rushing. Can you just tell me what, what they are? I'm just curious. Oh, I'll pull it up. I'll pull Indie it up. IndieWire Essential Crime. British Crime. British right? Crime, yeah. I have it here. I have it here. Right, Brighton Rock, some... which makes a lot of sense. Like sure, a few of these make it. sense. Brighton Rock probably should be on the vulture list. Um, yeah. Croupier, is that how you pronounce that one? The Clyde Yeah, Island sure. One. You know what? Yeah. Yes. That movie's good. Down, Down Terrace. Down ben Terrace Wheatley. is bad. As like fucking Ben Wheatley's greatest soldier, Down Terrace is bad. Gangster number one. Like, a I don't know what that's. people like. Yeah, but I don't know what it's doing on the list. And then you have people Get, Get like Carter. You have Get Carter. Hit which you already talked about. Yeah. It only rains on Sunday, so we're literally back in never the heard of this Bright movie. Rock area. Lady, lady Killers, Killers, Lavender. See, this is what my, my my brain immediately was like when you said the list was like they're not going to put Lady Killers and Lavender Hill on the list. So which one is it? And then you said there was no Ealing and my brain just shut down. Yeah. Long Good um, Friday, which is yeah. Good. Mona Lisa again. It's in, I, I guess because um Lockstock I guess because the other one, uh, uh, God, what's it called? The other Neil Jordan one is I like they would consider it to be an Irish, even though uh, like the bulk of it takes place in London. Yeah. Okay. Something called Never Let Go that I've never heard of. Night in the City again, uh, like shared between. I, I mean, that movie fucking rules. The Red Riding trilogy, which I've never seen, but I should. It's cool. Sexy it's cool bees. that they're like three different films. Um, yeah. Something yeah. called Sitting Target. Something called The Squeeze. Michael Apton is not a good fiction director. And that's it. Bronson. I love Bronson, man. Bronson, uh, Bronson's pretty cool. Man, you ever seen- if only things went, if only things turned in a different direction around like 2012, 2013, I would be like uh, dying to do the Hardy yeah. series. I've, I've, it's I've the, been it's thinking- the same, it's the same shit as Bale, where it's like, what happened in ten, the last decade from now? If you're stretching you from seen... now back a decade, it's like, what happened? Because I don't want to talk about any of these movies. Have you ever seen um, Dead Man's Shoes? No. Because we kind of touched on Shane Meadows here because uh, of the, you know, This Is England. Yeah. Uh, was on, is This Is England, the first one is on um, uh, the Indie Wireless. And obviously that's like the big Stephen Graham thing. You would like Dead Man's Shoes. Dead Man's Shoes is Patty Considine, great actor. Getting is like, he playing Irish in the movie? <laughs> no, because he always he's playing plays an Irish English. Guy. <laughs> um, it's it's him like slowly and methodically like getting revenge on like a gang of drug dealers that's been harassing him and his brother. Oh, um, really, really mean, a really mean like little thriller. You'd like that movie. Yeah, that's our London Boulevard episode. I have to go I think get it's dinner a good with episode, not a good movie. Yeah, but... I have to go get dinner with uh, past and future guests uh, Mark Tilly and Jeff Sweeney. Uh, so let's wrap this sucker up. Um, Connor, you want to plug the Instagram? It's at above the title pod. I'm sure yep. by the time this episode comes out, there will be more stuff. Who more knows stuff. when this episode's coming out? Uh, I feel worse about the strike resolution every day, my guy. Um, yeah, uh, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, please remember to tell a friend. Um, we will be back next week. Um, 
Oh God. Yeah. We'll be back next week with the fucking horrible bosses episode. Uh episode I am really excited to record. Uh I think that's gonna be a fun one. We might have a guest on that one. I you know, the odds are leaning towards no. Uh we'll make based it work. On, we'll make it work. Past la, la, la. It's okay. Um, yeah, join us next week for uh, three hours of screaming about uh, a movie that maybe ruined the American film comedy. That is a take I have on that sucker. You know, it's like, man, isn't it weird that Jacob Tremblay just got elected president? Like, I never would have thought that. Okay, you're doing a bit. <laughs> How old so is old the man? Now. You think? He... Okay, I see the joke you're doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll be back next week. Um, and until then, uh, fuck Jacob Trombley. Stop it,